I was tired of Stanford. We've been getting together too long. Like a worn out recording of a Jeff Jarrett song. So while Vince lay there sleeping, I read the Observer in bed. And in the personal columns, there was a bullet I read. If you hate her, Rakaran is. And listening to Mike today. If you're not into Hogan. And you hate Bobby the Brain. If you like Booker T at midnight. And squashing cruises like grapes. Then I got the job that you're looking for. Right to Ted and escape. Didn't think about my ratings. I don't even know what they mean. But me and my old ratings had fallen into that same old dull routine. So I wrote to the Observer, dedicated it to Ted. Though I'm no Lanny Poffo, I'll suck my in bed. Yes, I ate her, Rakaran is. I fucking hate Mike Tenay. I created Gangrel's Brood and pushed Stefan Shane. I gotta meet you by tomorrow noon to cut through Patterson's red tape at this place called the Garden where I'll plan my escape. So I waited with high hopes as Ted walked into place. I knew that stash in an instant I knew the fat on his face. I said, Ted, this is kind of shady. He said, I want a coup. Then we laughed for a moment. And I said, I never knew that you ate her is and that prick Mike today. You want to give me a promotion and then sell the company to Shane? Yeah, I'll push Booker T at midnight. And then I'll bury Dallas Page. I'm the rioter you're looking for. To make sure WCW dies. Because WCW must die. North-South Connection Podcast Network. Well, we made it to lucky number seven. Welcome to WCW Must Die, Episode 7. And much like how, uh, you know, many pop culture franchises have really made evolutions from six to seven. Uh, you, you look at Final Fantasy VI, considered the best of its kind, but then Final Fantasy VII emerges and changes video games forever. You've got Return of the Jedi, arguably... The worst ending in the history of our sport, transitioning to The Force Awakens for a new generation of people to piss off. And tonight, we're evolving from a two-man booth to good night, a three-man booth. Because I'm Johnny C. With me tonight, Greg Diener, James Grunberg. Gentlemen, how the hell are you? I'm doing fantastic tonight, Johnny. (laughs) That is amazing. I'm glad to hear this. Johnny Shivani, I'm doing all right tonight. 
Oh, man, guys, I am ecstatic to, to have you here on WCW Must Die because this is this episode of WCW Monday Nitro, uh, which comes to us from May 1st in the year uh, 2000, okay, was super low energy to me compared to the previous episode of Thunder, which I hailed as the greatest episode of all time. Now, before we get into that, though, I want to again welcome you guys to take a second and step back. Um, you know, I guess I'll be Peter three here because Peter three is the best. So you guys can fight over one and two. Whoever wants to tell me, Peter one, uh, what's your history with WCW in the year 2000? Well, I, I guess about I'd be what Tom Holland in this case. Yes, you <laughs> would be Tom Holland in this case. Okay, that makes Grooney Toby Maguire. Okay, I'm fine with <laughs> that, that. Yeah, I would go with Holland too, probably. No offense to to Grooney or the Tobes, but eh, he's definitely three on the list. Yeah. Um. Well, my uh watching of WCW began. Yo, I live in a weird neighborhood. Uh, I was the only area of Long Island back where I lived that did not have WCW on my cable. We did not have TBS here until the fall of 1994. So like mm -hmm. all my WCW watching would be like on WCW worldwide on like WCBS channel two at like midnight opposite of Saturday Night Live. Now you said 94 was when you got mainstream programming. Would you have gotten worldwide before then? Uh, yeah, that well, I, we didn't have TBS here in, in my area. Okay. But we we got it uh, in 94. So I would, my WCW watch it would be like through the pay-per-views, through uh, the syndicated television. And then we got TBS in September of 94, just right when, after Hogan arrived into the company. So it was custom made for the time to get TBS. And I was a regular watcher of WCW from then on out. So. Wow. You, so you, you picked your side during the war and it was WCW. Well, I would flip back and forth between that and WWF. I would watch like all the wrestling on the weekend. So I would watch like, sure. it would be like eight, nine hours of wrestling. And I was like, I didn't care. It's like, Oh, it's wrestling. I'll just watch it. Did you watch WrestleMania all day long? No, he did not. Uh, well, you talked about eight and nine hours of wrestling, and I about had heart palpitations remembering Michael Cole and Ivory hosting WrestleMania all day long, which cannot be found on Peacock. I don't know what the hell they're thinking of. It's bullshit. Rant over. It is. Well, all I right. I think so now you watch every WrestleMania, so you don't need them to host it. <laughs> Yeah, no. I know. You, you know, today, there's other. Oh, go ahead. Today you could just watch do WrestleMania all day long in your underwear. So. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing though. They had these skits, and and it was all the con. God, we we're already off the rails uh, about WrestleMania all day long. But it was a lot of skits that they did. I'm talking like awkward daytime talk show shit. Like, hey, you guys want to see Michael Cole and uh, Ivory try to like. I don't know, fucking build a house of cards or I don't know, like <laughs> in the arena doing stupid shit on camera live and leading into these pre-tapes and well, just kind well, of. You know, what's funny about that is that like, you know, this like the Ivory was like always the good, like, you know, co-host. Like I wouldn't have mind like hanging out with Ivory, like on w, WWE experience, like, you know, that 11 PM like show and like the, I mean, 11 a.m. show that was like in the afternoon. It was like, huh, it'd be kind of fun to like hang out with like Ivory. She's like a really nice person. Well, she was Spitfire King. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just, and that's the thing. This is also like frosted kit tips, Michael Cole, at the low, at the loath of his powers. Is that a word? People say the height of his powers. I'm gonna call it the loath of his powers. And uh, yeah, but I, nobody came for this. Back to WCW. Um, so Grooney, you come to us from a unique place, and and what I mean by that, fans. A long time ago, when we first started this show, I got this random message uh, asking me if they could come on the show and cover a very specific event, and that's Western Union Slambury 2000. Now, we'll have you back for that, but it's a little early. You got to tell me, what's with you and WCW right now? All right, so the first time I ever heard reference of WCW was actually watching ready to rumble on TBS. Wow. And then I started like sort of molding, getting into like wrestling. And then I guess it was on the WWE 24 seven channel on like cable and I was like, oh, my God, they got Slambury 2000. That's the one where, like, you know, they had the triple, the triple cage match. And they used that same one from Ready to Rumble. And I was just, like, I was just, like, you know, happy. And, like, you know, I really enjoyed, like, that the, the show. And then I started watching just WCW 2000 from then on, you know. Have you ever sat down and tried to map out and logically understand why, like, Conan and Kurt Henning and Saturn were, like, members of the Kingsmen? Uh, no, but um, if you want to try, if you want to do that, listen to our um, Laugh-In Theater episode on uh, Ready to Rumble. It's a, it's a classic gem uh, hosted by Andy Atherton, Laugh-In Theater, on the place to be pop feed. And uh, we actually did a watch along of Ready to Rumble. And I think one of us asked that question, why are these guys in the King's Court? You know? That, uh, okay. So are they the King's Court? Is that like officially, I mean, I'm, I just, I want to get my facts straight because I'm a big fan of Jimmy King, but I need to know this. Info. Is it the, like the Survivor Series team, the King's Court? I believe so. Yeah, it definitely uh, is the King's Court. Is it is it DDP's thugs? Is that just what they're called? Uh, I think Mike Tanay called them DDP's goons. Oh, DDP's yep. goons! Ooh, yeah, I can't. You know what sucks, guys, about that movie? The, there's only one thing in the whole universe that sucks about that film. Oh, let and me guess. The, is it Sherman? No. Oh, no, 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 no. I hate. I don't mind Sherman because I grew up with like Angus. When he was really t- like, have you guys ever seen Angus? Oh, I forgot he was in Angus. Yes. Um, yeah, for sure. Dude, Green. Fuck. Angus has that rockin' soundtrack with that awesome Green Day song, and it's also got a pre-Dawson James Vanderbeek as the bully. Oh. And one of the and one of the greatest moments in cinema history when Dawson calls like a radio station, and Angus gets pissed because he gets on the radio, and then randomly he goes, "Oh, hey, I got my quarterback." Because of course the quarter falls out of the payphone and angus is like <laughs> oh that's my favorite part of that movie in case you guys wondered so what was the one thing that pissed you off about that movie oh wow um because mike Tanay uh got a street screen actors guild card out of it and now gets light, uh, health insurance for the rest of his life <laughs> oh well you take the health insurance when you can get it if they now don't get me now, I'm going to walk this back just a second. 
and make sure everybody knows that's a gag because I think everybody should have health insurance regardless. That's a conversation for another podcast. I just don't like Mike Tanay. Yeah. Well, we're not that kind of podcast, as I always say on my mothership podcast. So, hey, there you go. There you go. Well, speaking of the mothership, uh, let's get this thing rolling with the mother herself, Courtney Cox. All right. Oh, yes. So it's May 1st, 2000. We're in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, I got to tell you, this would have been a damn good time to live in Birmingham, Alabama, because just a couple years previous, you had Michael Jordan playing baseball. All right. Oh, yes. And in one year from now, a la this episode of Nitro, I mean, you probably already got Bolts fever. You probably got your Birmingham Bolts jersey, your Birmingham Bolts hat, your Birmingham oh, Bolts yeah. thermos mug. I mean, it's a hell of a time to be an Alabamian and, you know. Oh, well, oh, anyway. Yes. Uh, ironically, roll, roll pad. Ironically, roll I think this one of the gimmicks that goes throughout this episode is that this is uh, Courtney Cox's hometown. So the reason Courtney Cox is here is the show opens live, well, via pre-tape anyway, because I think it's in British Columbia, if I did my research properly, on the set of the blockbuster question mark warner brothers film Three Thousand miles to graceland the uber famous courtney cox arquette is berating the wcw heavyweight champion of the world probably because that belt looks humongous on him uh telling him you're not a wrestler were you guys just stoked to see courtney here oh yeah i was so excited to see courtney cox on this show yeah i kind of i mean it's so interesting to like see like you know um, see her outside of friends. It's like, oh my god, that's Courtney Cox. Like, she was married to David Arquette. <laughs> like, I don't know, like if she was like just like given a line, like tell your husband he's not a wrestler, or in real life she's like David, just give them back the belt and like stop this. Oh no, we were uncomfortably. I was gonna say Courtney Cox's performance here is halfway decent because there's this is somewhat of a realistic conversation I'm sure they've had or had before yeah. this shoot. Um, you know, you I guys mean, know hold on a second. To be fair, this isn't the first time Courtney Cox had to like talk someone out of doing some like professional fighting. If you recall that one Friends episode where her boyfriend actually fought Tank Abbott, which we're gonna see tonight, like you know, so Courtney Cox has to talk everyone out of not fighting and not being a wrestler. So, and the boyfriend was played by John Favreau. <laughs> so wait. The 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 king of Marvel, that's not Kevin Feige, uh, uh, you know, the, the king of Disney, I guess, fa the Favs himself and Tank Abbott went blow to blow in this episode. On yeah. an episode of Friends, yeah. Um, John Favreau said he's going to become a UFC fighter and he actually wow. fights Tank Abbott. Yeah. How and many stars before, did you give it? <laughs> it was a bloodbath. <laughs> And long and well, behold, Courtney Cox is like, don't do this. Don't do this. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that, um, I mean, I could totally see David Arquette on the set of Scream kind of playing that like extroverted kind of nerdy guy, but he's also kind of sweet. And, you know, he's not the worst like looking dude, of course, you know, and, and but maybe Courtney's just so wound up and she's having a good time on the set with Dave. And it's the first time she's had a good time in like a year because friends are stressing her out and she misinterprets that as love and they get married. <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, it happens. Um, 
I always hope that she grew up to marry He-Man because I met Courtney <laughs> Cox in Masters of the Universe, the fantastic oh, yeah. 1987 Galang Globus film. Ryan, have you seen Masters of the Universe? <laughs> no, no, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> have you guys seen Masters of the Universe? No. I've I've seen bits and pieces on cable. I mean, it has Dolph Lundgren in it. It can't be that bad. No, it's uh, Fantastic Cheese. It has one of the best, like, unworthy musical film scores of all time because the film score is so great it's uh the masters of the universe film is not worthy of it yeah <laughs> that joke bombed hard huh <laughs> uh-oh. uh-oh this is fantastic so yeah has anybody seen three thousand miles to graceland no no <laughs> oh. God damn it, guys. I actually have not seen this movie, but it's got like a bunch of famous people in it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So, yeah, that's the beginning of the show. They recap Thunder. We're in day five of the unbelievable title reign of David Arquette. It's really day six. You think I could start a class action lawsuit against these guys and sue them or what? That's bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. So the show begins with what I'm calling encounter in the parking area as opposed to encounter at Farpoint. We've got a white car and a black car arriving. And can you guys guess which one has the good guys and which one has the bad guys? Well, the white car usually has the good guys and the black car has the bad guys. Oh, it's mind boggling. And I'm wondering if they made a choice here or if it's just just grab a car, guys. I don't care. Let's go. Let's go. We got a lot of shit to do. We got a lot of three tapes to do today. Or if someone was there. He's not getting the good stuff. So that's true. Or do you think Kevin Nashley rolls up and he's like, hey. You know, it looks like a good, I don't know, maybe two shot. Maybe get a one lens in here. Get a white <laughs> car and a black car. Yeah. You know, because Kevin Nash is kind of an auteur of cinema, I'm, I'm told. I don't really know this for a fact. Oh, yeah. I bet Kevin has some great taste in movies. I think Kevin Nash is the kind of guy to recommend you a porn. Maybe one of the first couple nights you meet him, like you're hanging on. He's like, hey, man, <laughs> you ever see that one with that blonde chick? Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it's side up. <laughs> oh. Hey, Sean, you got a copy of that? All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so in the in the in the good guy car, it's DDP, Canyon, and David Arquette. And I do love Canyon getting the rub here. And I oh, do yes. love I kind of like the idea of David Arquette and Canyon like having fun together. Like, I don't know, like I'm not this is not trying to be a gag. Like every time I hear a story about Canyon, it's always kind of undercut by like kind of something sad so i hope him and david arquette just had the best fucking time hanging out i really oh do. yeah 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 you know and there's one yeah go please and david arquette's wardrobe can i just say he looks like a pimp oh well, i mean I, I was gonna say the opposite he looks ridiculous in this outfit now i could see this going one of two ways well, no, I'm going to flip that. I, let's put them together. He looks like a ridiculous pimp. Or okay. is, there any other, is there any other kind? And that's no offense to those in the pimping industry. I'm just trying to figure out what's the truth here. Is it the shit you see on Saturday Night Live or in, like, Taxi Drive? Hmm. You know, where does pimping stand in 2022? That it's not easy. As we all know, pimping ain't easy. It's not. You're absolutely right. But yeah, he looks like a bum. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, Mike Awesome, Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff, Kidman, and all the new blood ladies are in the black limo. 
And they're in the parking garage. They all get out of their cars. It's the fucking Jets and the Sharks. Somebody tells me what happens. Well, Hulk Hogan comes in. Well, does he come in or does he rage in with a freaking 15 Dodge Chevy camo, dude? Oh, yeah, he, he just does rage in. Just rams the limo. Well, so here's what I'd say about that. Hogan's car insurance must be through the roof. Why did he even have to ram the limo if everyone was out was out of the car anyway? So, yeah, Hulk Hogan, for the uninitiated, rams his car into the New Blood limo, attempting to run over all the bad guys as they scatter. Now, was there a cut here? I forgot to go back and watch. Or did Hogan get out of the car immediately before they changed shots? Or did this motherfucker have a stunt double? Um, he got out of the car and then there was like a huge brawl. So Hogan did that stunt himself then? I'm going to say, yeah. Wow. How did they get, not get the airbags to deploy? Like, I, don't know <laughs> shit, I don't know shit about cars. It, cause, is that Hogan's actual car? I mean, I'm supposed to know these things, but I'm putting this out into the ether. We don't know I these that things. Is, that's his Barracuda, right? Yeah. Okay. So is that a good car? I don't know shit about cars. Well, I don't know shit about cars either, but like it seemed cool at the time for Hogan to be driving that car. Speaking of cool at the time, Vince Russo has on this fucking John Lennon T-shirt, which confirms for me that he's one of those guys who like thinks Tyler Durden is the good guy in Fight Club. You know what I mean? You see, have you seen these people? Have you talked to these people? Or like you go to his office and he's got the um, the poster of the uh, the naked ladies painted up like. Uh, Pink Floyd album covers with their butts hanging out. He's got one of those. Like this, he's like the ultimate. He never aged out of that 22 to 24 stage, right? I don't think he ever left New York. No matter how, no matter like wherever Vince Russo goes, like he'll never leave New York. Yeah. I don't we know. Are not pl- we are not proud of him here on Long Island. Well, I don't necessarily. It's like I have a love hate relationship with it because I, you know, I like to come on here and, and and have fun with the bad stuff. And I do, but I realize that it's bad and I'm kind of having fun at its expense and laughing at it, not with it. So, you know, it is unfortunate because I really think he did have that really nice hot streak in the Fed. I don't know. Did you guys watch a lot of like that 97, 98 hop? Speaking of 97, my God, I'd be remiss to, to mention on North-South Connection, uh, Aaron George just came back and dropped a, a deuce. Uh, literally, because it's number two on his list, 1997. Uh, and I meant drop a deuce is a good thing. He dropped a banger of an episode on uh, the year that was that came back. Did you guys get a chance to listen to that? I was surprised it's not number one. I feel that 97 is number one, but that's just me. I think that he's going to have to explain to me how a year that has two paper. And I love Aaron. I say this with due respect because I think. And this is also kind of cool. We're speculating about a podcast show, like we're talking about the next Marvel movie, which I dig. Uh, I'm thinking that 87 is the best, but 97 is the best of the modern build of the product, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, because 2001 is like the end of like the product to rebuild it again. But I just have a soft spot for 2001. That's just me again. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i one of the few – I mean, I enjoy the invasion week to week. I, I can't sit here and pretend that I didn't, but I am obviously realized that uh, 
it could have had bigger names in it and been handled completely different. So that's just my take on a one. But the match quality is a lot of time, Warner. Yeah, I know, right? Well, well, hey, they're just gonna pay me to sit here, Sean. Oh, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you want me to come to New York? <laughs> but I just got I just got off the plane from from Bourbon. Yeah, went to a Bolts game. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Nash's fucking weekend excursions in Alabama. Just saw. We need like a documentary of Kevin Nash from 2000 just talking to Shawn Michaels on the phone and that random hours of the night. Shawn, what are you doing? <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it's, it, 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 oh, it's important to note that when Hogan runs his car into the limo, right as it's impacting, Scott Hudson goes, good night. <laughs> so he's blown well, his good night scale already. That's well, he's. He's yeah, he's blown his good night in the first segment, you know, because if 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 JR starts yelling, God is my witness, they've broken him in half during like Mark Marrow versus Al Snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like who gives a crap? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, there were so many other opportunities in the show to yell good night and he screwed up already. I know. Uh, Kidman does the great move of when Hogan comes after him, he like sack, he grabs Awesome and Awesome looks flustered and he throws Mike Awesome in front of Hogan and they start brawling. And, and that sort of puts a lid on this opening segment to which uh, it took us eh, 20 minutes to get through a 90 minute pre-tape or 90 second pre-tape. <laughs> <laughs> but I fucking love it. So what did you guys think? Uh, Peter three. That Wait, that's me. No, Peter two. What do you think? <laughs> That's you, Gertie. Oh, okay. <laughs> stop it, stop it. All right. So, like I said, I said David Arquette's outfit is ridiculous, and uh, Hogan's car insurance must be through the roof. And, again, it's the go-home edition to a pay-per-view. And, yes. like, I, I feel like in this time period, like, these pay-per-views were just coming out, like, one by one by one because, unlike the next episode of Thunder, they're already talking about, like, oh, uh, someone gets a title match at the Great American Bash. Like, dude, we didn't even get what? through Slamboree, and you're already talking about the Great American Bash, you know? Why are you spoiling my show, man? I'm kidding. Yeah, no, you're right. They do. They start p- pumping. And I remember as a fan being really confused when I watched the opening of Slamboree, which we'll talk about in the future, which I know it's you know like, what I'm talking about. Wait a second. There's, like, there's only like two weeks for the next pay-per-view? Like, how do you, like, this is, again... This is why, like, you're just throwing, like, random storylines together and have no meaning. But, again, that's WCW 2000 for you. Do you think Hogan should change his name to Homicide Hogan? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No? I mean, no, because he didn't kill anybody. There was no no reason for him to, like, even ram the car if everyone was outside. All he had to do was just put it in park. And get out of the car. He didn't have to ram it because there was nobody had, in the limo. But he had intent to murder the I was going to say, like, that, I agree with what you're saying, but I think the intent of the shot to get, sound like, to sound like Kevin Nash would talk about it. I mean, the intent is to show that Hogan is just trying to maim because he knows they're out of the car. Like, which is just batshit crazy if you really think about it. And all these well, people have been vicious to Hogan, so I guess, like, you know, if he's going to kill someone, he's got to kill someone, right? Well, well, remember, 
Well, remember, during the dark side of Hulkamania, he wanted Macho Man to bring the head of Ming on a silver platter, so. <laughs> Man, that's a that's another Hogan era that I really want to go back and watch the weeklies. Uh, oh. Have they added Saturday nights to the network from that era? No, 95 Saturday nights, no. Okay, because, I yeah, I've got to go see that shit. I, that's a, 95 was a massive dark year for me. Uh you talked about finally getting WCW in 94 when they got Hogan. When they got Hogan, I entered sort of a depression. And then I oh. saw Kevin Nash win the title on All-American Wrestling uh, in the Garden or Action Zone, whatever the fuck show it was. And then I, I canceled wrestling for a year. Oh. <laughs> and, and it was weird because I got this phone call like in March and I was like, hello. It was like, hey, John, what? You know, I'm the champ, right? <laughs> you haven't been you watching the show. In the you know. segments. So, I don't know. But, yeah, so that's – that's why did I mention Kevin Nash? I don't remember. But, yeah, so that's this segment. It's batshit crazy. Uh, Mark Madden says that Bruno San Martino is rolling over in his grave because David Arquette's the WCW heavyweight champion. <laughs> he has to walk this one back in a few weeks. I don't think he said Bruno. I don't know if he said Bruno San Martino. He said Bruno. Did anyone, he says, Bruno, anyone tell Madden that Bruno San Martino was still alive? Well, spoiler alert for whatever episode of WCW Must Die it'll end up being. But on a night show with Thunder shortly after this, the, they take like 30 seconds, cut away the announce table, and they zoom in on his face. And he's like, a few weeks ago, I insinuated that Bruno San Martino was dead. He isn't, and I apologize. And then they, they just know he's not dead since they're both from Pittsburgh. Oh, he does <laughs> know. He just, I, he, he's just a hater, uh, you know. But that being said, he's also in his character is is a hater. So I don't really, I didn't expect. I thought it'd just be a throwaway gag. I don't really blame him. I mean, he's in Madden, character. Maybe Madden had to like go check up on good old Bruno after that uh, Thunder and was like, "Hey, you all right?" Um, if you need me, I'll call the suicide hotline. Oof. Brutal. Brutal to him. Wow. Uh, Madden is historic. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not trying to give like current Mark Madden plugs and shit, but at the same time, isn't he notoriously like, that's his character, even in his real reporting, right? He's like a, like a kind of an asshole. Like that's yeah. his presentation. Okay. Yeah. But he so, plays like, he played a really good, I mean, you know, everyone says there's always like that one good asshole in this time period. Mark Penn is a great asshole. He is. I really enjoy it. Uh, I, you know, it's a hearkening back to a pure heel commentator. Uh, it reminds me of like Paul Heyman from like 1990, but obviously with modern for the time content you know because man's a bit more on edge than Heyman was but uh Heyman and jr are great in wcw in 1990 just for anyone who's out there uh go back and watch starcade 90 featuring the black scorpion it's one of my all-timers sting <laughs> um hudson says this isn't an acting job this is wrestling i disagree the first match yeah. oh, in first, w the first, first match now here in WCW must die, just let all the initiate all the new listeners who haven't run away. Uh, we will talk about what happened in each segment, and then we will talk about what actually happened. So in this segment, Norman Smiley and Rusty the Alabama Steel Dog defeated Crowbar, the person, via what I'm calling the preschool boy, 
in a hardcore match. <laughs> Peter one, tell me about this professional wrestling encounter. Oh, this was something else. Uh, what better to have as your mystery partner than the mascot of the local sports team? And my favorite part is Crowbar like puts his head against the ropes and like he doesn't take his head off from like most of the match. He's all in between the ropes and it's hilarious. He's like, this... how can I get out of the ropes? I can't get out. Oh. Now this performance, I don't want to. I don't know if I want to spoil it. Grudy, I know you know who the mystery partner ends up being. I don't think yep. that that performer played this character that evening. I don't think so either. Okay. And you, everybody knows who it is. No, don't say it, but everybody knows. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it right, was them. If you don't know it, look it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we could spoil it. Uh, yeah, come on. This is not like talking about how all three Spider-Man appear in Spider-Man No Way Home, which I just spoiled with no warning. So uh, that being said... Uh, oh, everyone knew that. I didn't... That's, I know. I know. It, it, you know, that was uh, like a year ago. Uh, New Year's joke. <laughs> that, being, that being said, it's, it's, it ends up being Ralphus. Ralphus is Norman Smiley's like new compatriot, but I, it's definitely not Ralphus as Rusty. Now, did you... I, I was... Somebody says it's the local hockey mascot. I lost like 25 minutes of my life on Google. Uh, well, I started on Bing for a little bit, and then I spent the next 20 minutes of my life on Google looking up hockey teams in Alabama, Birmingham. And there wasn't one around this time that had a dog. Did you guys do any research? I did solve the mystery, but I got to know if you guys are as stupid as I am. No, I, I just I, thought that like it was just some mascot from like somewhere. I was tempted to search because it was like a football jersey. So I thought, did Birmingham have like an arena football team around 2000? No, but they had an AF2, which is Arena Football 2 team. Oh, yeah. I missed that. AF2, a minor league for the minor league. I mean, yeah, I was going to say that's ballsy to think that the Arena Football League can financially support a junior. Uh, I don't know how that went, but, you know, good on them, I guess. Uh if they lasted a year, they've got both XFLs beat. So what are you going to do? But it's the Alabama Steel Dogs. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, my favorite arena football team was the Arizona Rattlers. Because oh. they were called the Rattlers. And I always thought that was kind of ridiculous. More of an Iowa-born yeah. Iowa Stormers guy. Are they really called the fucking Barnstormers? Well, that's the team Kurt Warner played for. Oh, my God. Before I went and saw Spider-Man, I saw this. Okay, so. Oh, the trailer for the, not, for the Kurt Warner movie with Shazam. Yes. Not only did I see the Shazam Kurt Warner movie trailer. I, let's let's say it's called The Game of His Life, if that is what it's called. You know, the music swells and it's like Shazam in the game of your life. And then, boom, and it like cuts to black. No joke. The people sitting closest to me in Spider-Man No Way Home goes, ooh, that looks good. And I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck is wrong with people? <laughs> so, so I do yes. have some questions about this match. Um, oh, yes. Yes, please. <laughs> what does it mean when you say he pulled off the old Daffy Duck? <laughs> because he pulled the old Daffy Duck. He pulled the old Daffy Duck. I think it was like... <laughs> 
I don't know if there was some sort of shenanigan that Daffy Duck always fell for, where he became flustered and stuck between uh, a certain, you know, area. Uh, I don't know. I I like the the Looney Tunes, but I'm not up to date on my Daffy Duck shtick. And um, I feel like if you're hitting that, like Crowbar definitely hits that the mascot like with the trash can. That head is so big. There is no way those shots are like actually hurting him. Like that. That big head has got to have some protectiveness, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that has the, to be, yeah, it's the safest headshot ever. Then that's yeah. the best. That's the best part of the whole fucking thing is that crowbar is actively attacking the face, and like that's the I don't know. I thought it was fucking brilliant. It was so funny. Ineffective though, it's not going to hurt him really because he has- right, but. Here's the thing, though, man. You're going out there having to entertain these people wrestling a mascot. you got to play by fucking Looney Tunes rules. <laughs> and I'm not and, – and yes, I am kidding. But at the same time, think about – like as a performer, I think Crowbar and Norman Crowbar Smiley was Bugs, Crow, Crowbar was Bugs Bunny then because, you know, he was outsmarting everybody. He outsmarted he, the mascot, you know. He knew what he was out there to do, and they did it very well. Yeah. Considering that that's what they were asked to do, they went out and did exactly that. They do also a three-way wiggle. Yes. Uh, where the dog is mounted by Crowbar, who is then mounted by Norman. And uh, we get this gem. Good night, nurse! That's two good <laughs> nights. I feel like, um, you know... Mark Madden is going to have a lot of Warner Brothers uh, lawsuits of uh, Animaniacs and uh, Looney Tune references. Well, you know, they've got the same parent company, so they're lucky. But, yeah, I didn't even think about that as an Animaniacs reference. Wow. Yeah. I feel I feel like someone should take away my nerd card. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. I mean, that's a little too inside, but, like, you know, it's like good night. And it's like, well, you know, it's making Animaniac jokes now. I. I did. So we talked about the mask. Did you like the part where Crowbar covered up the mask of, of the of the dog, like covered up the dog's eyes and not the eyes that the person was seeing? <laughs> but that's not going to do anything. Um, the only thing I really liked about this match was like the cross body dive that um, Crowbar does the outside to Norman Smiley. That was about it. I don't know if you what? gave this a rating or not, but I did actually give it a rating, Johnny. Um, so I want to hear your guys' first. Okay. I gave it a star in three quarters. Okay. Okay. Oh, I gave this like two stars. So I gave a one minute match five stars on our last episode. And then I gave a four minute match five stars on our last episode. And I've always felt a little weird about that short one, but I defended it. Um, this one wasn't quite at that level. I initially was at four and a half, and I thought that was too high. So I gave it four and a third rusty trombones. <laughs> I think that's a fair rating. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I you know, I, I it wasn't quite four and a quarter. It wasn't quite four and a half, so it's four and a third. You know, why the hell not? I give it four stars on comedy. It was a very yeah. comedic match. Well, that's, you know, I, I can't t- separate... It's it's interesting when it comes to my star rankings. Like I cannot set if I'm enter, if I'm getting any entertainment out of it, I can't separate the like AJ Styles Nakamura 
from this. Now, I can, of course, realize and, and that I get more for my buck in a five-star Styles Nakamura match. But at the end of the day, you know, if if you had as much fun as I had watching Tammy versus Paisley, like, that's a five-star fucking experience <laughs> in my book. Like, just feeling anything, like, you know, whether it's awe at what they're doing or, oh, my God, what are they doing? It all works for me. So yeah, but I, like I said, I like the crowbar um, cross body to the outside. Crowbar for what this is worth, like wrestling wise, Crowbar did put on a like like you said, he's a performer. He put on a show, and he he rolled like with the punches. Like oh, they're making me do this like comedy skit. Well, I'm gonna do the best that I can, and like I I actually enjoyed Crowbar's uh wrestling norman smiley's not bad i mean you know he just goes with the gimmick but like you know deep down norman smiley's not a bad wrestler yeah absolutely i mean he's you know it's, well i don't know shit we're coming out of all these mass firings i just saw samoa joe got fired again like a half hour ago is smiley still at the performance center like i don't even know i as, believe as, so as far I as i even, know yeah he's still there i didn't even nope. know i didn't even know uh, samoa joe got rehired and only to get fired again <laughs> I don't know if this will be the first show to have taped and then air on North South since, well, Regal lost his job, but that's just, yeah. that's just a kick in the dick to the like community as a whole. Regal kissed Vince's ass. You have to have a full-time life job after you kiss the boss's ass on national television. But anyway, and this is WCW. Yes, I know. We're Regal is a badass and lives forever in infamy. The commentators are talking. They're saying it's not Scream 4. Madden's all over the fucking place with his hands. And uh, Tony says, regardless of where you stand on the issue, which is like <laughs> something that you don't want to say to anybody right now. <laughs> That's not no. how you want to start a sentence. Wednesday night was a great moment in sports entertainment. Notice it's how he emphasized sports entertainment and not the word professional wrestling. Oh, sports entertainment's all over this episode. They con they constantly say, I'm a sports entertainer. I'm not I'm not a sports entertainer. I'm an entertainer. Like that's that's the whole gimmick of this show. Did that did that get to you guys? I was wondering if it might. Yeah. Well, no, but I think like just what really got to me is that David Arcan is just trying to get away from the WCW title. Whether that was a cry for help or not, he did a really good job at trying to get away from this title belt. <laughs> I felt so bad for Tony in the segment here, knowing <laughs> how much this was slowly killing him to do this crap. He's famously taken the bullet for this, though. He's I, he's he did he's, not deserve this. Well, but he's publicly no. claimed it was his it was his idea. I know. But A lot still. of people have gone back and forth about it. That Russo overheard Giovanni say. Oh, hey, Michael, what did they put the bell on David Arcade? That's a great idea, Tony. Now, multiverse reality, alternate Earth, we'll call this Earth Gordy. <laughs> Let's say they bring in Arquette, but he he is playing Gordy the fan who thinks all this shit's real and becomes the champ. Thoughts? Oh. This would be the greatest angle in the history of professional wrestling. Or they get Oliver Platt to come in and actually play oh, Jimmy King. Oh, even better. <laughs> you could get Caroline Ray from Hollywood Squares to oh, be the wife man. in there. It'd be great. 
Oh, for sure. Be like, that's his son. You know, get Jimmy King's son out there. You know, I kind of want to live on this planet. Uh, I love me some Ready Rumble. So I, I got to cover these real quick and then we'll get to some wrestling. Hopefully there's so many backstage segments. I apologize to this guys. This one's got a lot of Russo. We do rapid fire walking sequences. Uh, monkey uh, DDP tells monkey to give the title back. Then Kimberly's <laughs> breasts say me. She's wearing this me sports bra like throughout the night. And that's like part of her gimmick. Uh, Lex Luger has no time to set up a plan with nature boy, Ric Flair, despite <laughs> All the wise knowledge he's given about how Russo has got to be up to no good holding Liz hostage. That all yeah. happens in in less time than it took me to explain it. W- who's got anything for these three fucking batshit segments? Yeah. Russo walking Liz like a dog does not age well today. It does not. <laughs> and Arquette sounds like, I mean, throughout the whole night, Arquette sounds like a whiny ninth grader, actually. <laughs> Like, he's just a whiny high school freshman, in my opinion. Yo, listen up, freshman monkey. Paige, I can't be the champion. Kind of like that. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, Lex Luger was, I don't know, man. He looks like he did a double batch of the juice between Thunder and here. He looks the four times the last time I saw him. Four times the size, that is. You guys like, where do you guys stand on Luger? He's kind of an anomaly to me. I've I feel like Lex, Lex. Yeah, but I feel like at this time, like 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 Lex Luger seemed like he was done at this point. Like yeah. he was just along for the money, but it was like, why are we still focusing on Lex Luger? But again, at this time, it's oh, we're the billionaires club. We make all the money, and we don't want to give up the spotlight. It's like, I feel like in Lex Luger's case, he could have given up that spotlight. I don't know. It's interesting that. He has such name cachet around this time. I mean, you got to think about where he's at on the totem pole. Compare that to a person who's on that level of the totem pole right now in WWE. And I think Luger hasn't beat position and notoriety-wise, even you know if you compare 2000 to, to right now. I mean, I'm not trying to shit on any aspect of the business at all. I just I understand why they kept going back to him. But my biggest exposure is all-American Luger, because I grew up a, a WWF guy, like pure and... Yeah, that that American shit. I mean, the gimmick that is always got to me and made him look like oh, a douche. Yeah. I don't know, but hey, speaking of douches, we're heading back to the three thousand miles of Graceland set. <laughs> Courtney Courtney Cox sort of uh, explains to David Arquette that while he's in Birmingham, she needs to go visit his parents. I kind of wanted to go on a fucking side quest for a half hour and watch an episode of like David Arquette and Courtney Cox's parents. In like a multi-camera laugh track sitcom. <laughs> you know? Hey guys, I'm here. Woo! David, don't know. bring your belt to the table. Oh, sorry. You know, just like that whole <laughs> shit. Like I, um, you know, she again she tells him he's not a wrestler. He at least name drops Chris Canyon. Uh, before the big moment happens in this segment, what do you guys start thinking up to this point? Like, are you I don't know, how's this shit sitting with you? Oh, it's um, <laughs> go ahead, Granny. Well, sorry, I know. Um, well, the, it seems like they're just getting ready for like the pay per view. Um, like you know, Jared's mad. <laughs> Jared's mad that um he doesn't have the world title anymore. And so, just basically, this whole night is like, let's get to the pay per view. 
Yeah, it's 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 stalling. It it is it does feel stalling a little bit. I'll give you that. But it does tell a good story though. Yeah. I agree with that too. And if you I also feel that if you have the ability to take advantage of this access, I mean guys, <clears throat> yes. And I know you guys are with me on this. Courtney Cox is a fucking megastar. Oh yeah. Friends uh, is the biggest show on TV. Absolutely. Especially I mean, this is this is a gift. And not only that, they got Kurt Russell in the segment. Yes, the living planet himself. Fucking Kurt Russell rolls into frame in full 3,000 miles of Graceland getup. And I, I'm not going to take the time, I think, to watch this movie, but he kind of looks like a badass Elvis. Oh, it's yes. like Kurt Russell, Sonny Siaki, and that's it. Those are the only cool Elvises in the history of mankind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and hey, Kurt Russell, he's acted alongside two world heavyweight champions. Oh my God! Who's the second? Batista. Oh. oh. Fuck! Wait, what are they in together? Why am I blanking on Gordy's all this? Too. Jesus Christ! Wow. Oh. It's one of it's been one of those weeks, man. I cannot believe I could not put that together on my own. I feel like a big piece of shit. <laughs> but I I I I do like. Kurt Russell a shit ton uh, and I wanted to I pose this I, wrote, I did write this down because I wanted to pose this question to you when you see Kurt Russell do you see Ego the Living Planet Jack Burton or Tango or Cash I can't remember which one he plays I personally see him as the guy from Overboard okay that's a, and that's also a quality option I apologize for not putting it on the board because it's a good one um I only know Kurt Russell as the Miracle Coach Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad either. That's not bad either. And you know what? It's a good sport. Um, I've not I've not seen it, but I do. Uh, I don't know. After Angels in the outfield or no, Little Big League, there was that fucking summer oh. of 94. It was oh. Angels in the outfield, Little Big League and dude, Rookie of the Year. Dude, I mean, can I, I can't get little, enough. Wait, wait, was Little Giants there, too? Like, little Giants was the next. I think that same year. Yeah, but dude, uh, okay. Little Big League. I saw that in the theater. dude this is you know you know i rented that movie this is i don't say this to like make a joke like if you've seen little big league i rented that movie and watched it with my grandpa one day when i was playing hooky from school and i'm really super stoked that i have that memory um you know given the the nature yeah nice and i gotta love any movie that has jonathan silverman saying about dave maggot and mags i love you baby but die like a dog it's also got the fucking to me anyway it's the origin of the cowboy rides into town on friday leaves on friday joke like (laughs) i know that from little big league oh yeah so i don't know like that movie's um welcome to the little big league podcast oh i was gonna shift gears for a second but we'll do a podcast on little big league another time but that's a great fucking film why did we start talking about to begin with oh yeah because uh no does anybody remember you said what movie does uh, does Kurt Russell remind us of? And I said the coach of Miracle. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I stopped watching sports movies because of that summer. I got over inundated with them. But those are all great movies. You guys seen Angels in the Outfield? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Anything could happen. It could pretty happen. Fucking, pretty fucking depressing that Tony Danza just dies of lung cancer. Yeah, movie, right? I know. <laughs> but at least JGL was happy. Oh, God, I fucking love JGL, man. I feel like um, Tony Stefani was like, oh, David Arquette, world champion. It could happen. 
Be careful what you say. Be careful what you wish for, Shivani. And doing that, trying to do a Doctor Strange style. Well, if you're going to talk like Doctor Strange, you have to do a really cool accent, but then sound like you've got a stuffy nose on top of it. To hide your British accent. Like, seriously, you have an actor that sounds like fucking Benedict Cumberbatch sounds playing a wizard, and you say, no, just, just throw an accent on it. God damn. Marvel's not imperfect, folks. But I digress. Speaking of perfect, all right. Oh, well, yes. Well, they, actually, I, I, damn it, that was a perfect transition. But Kurt Russell <laughs> totally cucks totally cucks David Arquette and tells Courtney Cox it's time to go film the nude love scene. Walks, walks, and then Courtney says, hey, Kurt, do you know David's a WWE champion? And he does a fucking beat take and just starts laughing. It's the best acting oh, on the entire no show. <laughs> Walks out of frame and Arquette grabs a chair and comes behind him and then they cut the black. So it's insinuating that the WCW World Heavyweight Champion is about to take down a Celestial, but but they but they cut away from it. <laughs> oh well. But <laughs> going back to my perfect transition, and I'm sorry guys, we're still backstage or at an off-site location in the performance center because the perfect one, Sean Stasiak, is is with a blonde extra who is extra blonde and he's shooting free throws um, in basketball. In I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, I, I don't care that this recorded. I was a little bit jealous of Sean Stasiak's physique. I wanted to be Sean Stasiak. <laughs> there is no denying that a dude is cut. I think most of us would probably attest to that. Although I don't know if Stasiak is the dude that I would pick. Like if we're, having this like sweet like wishmaster moment where we get to you know wish for better wrestler physiques. I don't know if taking Stasiak, but I'm not blaming you for taking him. Him or Mark Jindrak, yeah, you know, like dude that could like jump and it was like, you know, I'll take Mark Jindrak if I can't have Sean Stasiak's body. Oh the the power plant's a hell of a drug. I mean yeah. I, I don't you know they were they were clearly breeding athletes to you know look the part but they just didn't have well we'll cover the natural part of the thrillers when we get there he's trying to yeah. break the free throw shooting record because to prove how perfect he is what okay. is it like 2025 shots or something like said, was like, it around there i thought they said it, six thousand. no it's yeah uh, hold on i have the shots written down that he needs to break it because i know there was uh, a five in there that's for sure Oh, notes. Here we go. Maybe I don't have it. I thought I had it. This is great. I know there was 25 there, though. Yeah. I want to say it was like five. It was like 5,200 something. I don't know. It's ridiculous. And they insinuate that he's going to be shooting free throws for the rest of the night. I mean, that's what we're led to insinuate. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in this scene. It's kind of weird. No, but he's just trying to say, like, he it's basically him just saying, like, he's better than Kurt Henning, and he's perfect, and he's just making fun of Kurt Henning. 5,221, I found it. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Damn it, I thought there was a fucking five in there. It starts with a five. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> so, <laughs> we've had to go on these tangents because we haven't been in the ring, guys, but it's it's time to get back to the ring okay. for an interview. Yay. Oh. That's what you guys came here for, right? I feel bad. I have you guys on the show, and it's like a 
it's this it is nitro though so you guys knew what you were getting it's so segment heavy like so yep. many different cuts mm-hmm. um it's david arquette he comes out to fucking peacock's version of biff naked's we're not going to take it anymore yeah um that was says, terrible <laughs> but in in peacock's defense the biff naked we're not going to take it is not the greatest no no it's not um he says it's a dream come true uh, what's best is how the fans have treated me. I, it's a shoot that's not supposed to be a shoot because, yeah. He says, I'm an entertainer, not a sports entertainer. And he's going to give up the belt to the winner of DP and Jeff Jarrett. I slapped the rib, baby. Yeah. In the triple three, triple stack cage match. There are, so, I, I know this because I'm a nerd and Grudy, I know you know this too. There are so many lines from this promo that show up in all the Slambury video packages. Um, oh my God, hold on. So can I, um, can I um, cut it on this one? Yes, who give it. Made, who died and made you, Commissioner Slappy? Who died and made you, Commissioner Slappy? I knew that, that one. Be- that is probably the best Jeff Jarrett line ever. Who died and, and made you, Commissioner Slappy? Is is Jeff implying that David Arquette is Slappy the dummy from Goosebumps? I don't know, but the way our the way Jared says the word Slappy is fucking great and hilarious at the same time. Well, what makes Jeff it worse is he is dripping. Himself. He looks like he just got out of the shower with Iceman. This dude is wet. Oh yeah, <laughs> but he was so mad, and like that line was just like solid gold of like script writing. Who died and made you commissioner, Slappy? Well, and Madden gives it a nice throaty yeah right after yeah. he says it. Um, I I don't know that because Bischoff and the new you know they all come down to the ring. I don't know that uh that he has any legal authority here because it's like. If you publicly state that you relinquish the championship, I mean, you can't really undo that, right? Like, you can't just be like, I think I'm done with the game of basketball, and then come back after hanging out in Birmingham for a couple of years. You can't just unretire, you know? (laughs) I mean, mean, he gave up the belt publicly. It's in advance, right? I mean, who knew you could win three titles, leave, come back and win three more? I decided to take my talents to South Alabama and play for the Birmingham. <laughs> that's an awful Michael Jordan impression. My son constantly watches. My son is nine years old, and he constantly watches The Last Dance. Oh, I thought you were going to say he watches Space Jam constantly. Cause... No, I mean, but that's what's sad. I'm upstairs watching Space Jam, and he's down the basement <laughs> watching, like, this intense documentary about, like, the economics, politics, and theology of sports. And I'm like, hey, Bill Murray's here, you know? Isn't there a part in the last dance where it talks about how Rodman went to, like, Nitro to miss a practice or something? He yeah. always comes and gets me yeah. when that part Michael, comes like, on. Michael never really, like, spoke on that. So I don't think Michael cared what Dennis Rodman did. I, if I, I always wanted to ask Michael Jordan, like, if I ever met him, I'd be like, did you watch that WCW pay-per-view where Dennis Robin Hulk Hogan teamed up to fight Carl Malone and DDP? Now, now <laughs> hold like, up. Get the hell out of here. Now, hold up. Michael Jordan once was on the cover of WWF magazine with Lex Luger. So we uh, know he, he has 
knows some knowledge of wrestling. So. so is that where Bischoff got the reference? No lunch with Michael Jordan. Like I, that's what that is. That is absolutely correct. To which I got. You know, I don't want to say I got called out. Somebody, bro, somebody. I wanted to ask Eric Bischoff too. Do you have proof that Michael Jordan and Lex Luger have lunch together, sir? I want to. I want to know. I would love to see who at WWF corporate negotiated that photograph with Michael Jordan's people. Like I could watch that for hours. Uh, I gotta. I gotta look this up because I don't know it. All I know is the line from Bischoff. What? No lunch with Michael Jordan. <laughs> oh no, that is true. They um. So yeah, I I had jokingly said in our first episode to Aaron that I highly doubt that they even know each other, even though they're both from Chicago. And then somebody tweeted at me. At Save Martha Russo, Save Martha, what we do, um, that uh, the magazine tweeted the magazine cover at me, and it was them at like a charity golf event. So Dude, that is so cool. And I think, you know, if, I don't know if they were paired together or if they were against each other in like a pro-am. Like, I don't know if Bob Barker was there because professional <laughs> golf begins and ends with Happy Gilmore for me. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's it. And hey, fucking speaking of Luger, uh, his slow ass does run down in the ring. But before he does, before he does, a couple of things happen that we have to cover. Damn it, I wanted to get through this segment, but I have to piggyback. Um, it, Bischoff gives the classic, it's a triple dance, and and you know, reiterates the fact that it's going to be a triple threat, triple cage match at Slamboree between um, Arquette, Jarrett, and DDP. So this is where David Arquette sounds like a really whiny ninth grader. And um, here's another thing, too. Um, Arquette out of nowhere says, Booker T deserves the WCW title. It's like, dude, where the hell is Booker T? And why did you say his name? And you can say, like, even Paige is like, bro, what, you don't think I deserve the title? Also, DDP, when talking, he sounds like the Fonz in all his promos. Well, it sounds like something that Vince Russo and Eric, it sounds like something Vince Russo would say. So either Arquette's just shooting here because he thinks Booker T is good, or is he fucking laying breadcrumbs for his character turn? Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, but like, I mean, I just thought it was weird. He was like, they deserve it. It's like, who's they, bro? Booker T. It's like, Booker T's not even in the match. What the hell are you talking about? He doesn't even have the T, I think, at this point. (laughs) No. No. He doesn't reclaim it until he drops the GI, strangely enough. (laughs) Because, you know, that's coming soon. Um, Clearly, David Arquette did not watch WCW prior to... um, Prior to the filming, prior to the release of Ready to Rumble, or else he would have known that he's not called Booker T anymore. Do you think that it's a lost opportunity not having Joe Pantoliano come in and guest host one of those Raws as Titus Sinclair? Oh, (laughs) yeah, Joey Pants. He should have done it the night David Arquette was there hosting as well, you know? He could have gone out there in the middle of the ring and been like, now... I know this isn't real. I can smell all of you and I can taste all of you. And my brain's telling me it's real, but I know the wrestling isn't real. You know, playing off his famous soliloquy from the Matrix and, you know, given <laughs> wrestling's pre- predetermined nature. But he's such a ridiculous caricature of like 
that's to me that's always been the one aspect of ready to rumble that i wish they would have like why did titus sinclair have to be god i'm in a basement complaining about a movie from the year 2000 thank god i've had sex before but that being said (laughs) um all that being said like why is he like a country western like cowboy why couldn't he be like a corporate suit who like thinks jimmy king is like pathetic and gross and wants to puke when he sees him that would have played better for me well because number one they were making fun of eric bischoff who was supposed to have that role until he got fired from wcw but so is that because bischoff sees himself as like a cowboy I guess a guy from Wyoming, which he's actually from, I believe. He's from Cody, Wyoming. So they're making fun of people from Wyoming. And the whole movie is based off of, like, being from Wyoming, too, at the same time. Wow, that's crazy. I've never put that all together. I mean, I feel kind of stupid saying that out loud, but I've never put that all together before. Actually, was Lusk. No, Lusk was Wyoming. I thought Lusk was Ohio, but no, it's Lusk, Wyoming. Yeah. Wow, you got something to say about Ohio? I do. It sucks. Somebody, no, somebody, somebody save me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eventually, the total package runs out. Scott Hudson says, good night, it's the package. That's three. Oh, my God. He's running so slow. And uh, he's coming out because Vince Russo, like someone had mentioned earlier, I think it was Peter 2, which puts you in the Tobey Maguire slot. No. Yes. Irrelevant. Point being that they're that Luger and Luger Russo and Liz are handcuffed together. Well, he's got her on like a leash. He has her on a dog leash for crying out loud. And when Luger runs out, Russo goes, Bonky Tize Waki Chewbacca. That's a job of the hut. Having Princess Leia on a on a chain joke. All right. So, but no, they all run off, you know, and Luger chases Vince and Liz through the crowd. Then Tank Abbott comes out and TDP's kill that monkey's music. So now Tank qualifies for monkey status. I still have no idea how I get that. Um he he, he, oh God, he tell he Tank Abbott's talking a whole bunch of shit about all this, says he's gonna beat up Arquette. DDP gets in his face and he says, why don't you shut me up, Billy Goat? And Scott Hudson says, good night. That's four. <laughs> the good night award goes to Mr. Scott Hudson. There's a big fight. The crowd's chance for Goldberg. They're not getting him. Tank books himself in a match against DDP. And if he wins, he gets David Arquette. I don't know that he has the authority to do this. Someone that's not me talk. I feel so bad talking about this segment so long. What did you guys think? Um, like I said, um, I, I gave you all mine. So, Greg, you can go ahead. Well, I will say Eric Bischoff's hair around this time period. I will say this is like his um, Ray Wise and Twin Peaks season two phase of his hair right now. The way it's like so white. He's the silverback. I think some. I think DDP called him that during one episode, meaning that Mark Henry or the WWE marketing people stole it from Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Should fucking sue him. Guess what we do next? Have a wrestling match? Do we have a wrestling match? No. We have more free throws. Oh. And the only note I have in this segment is that it's 5,221 is the record. So, I mean, it's just him making shots. 
Um, I feel really impressed, I guess, that Sean Stasiak could still act and make these basketball shots at the same time, but I would love to see all the deleted footage of him missing them. <laughs> I, got, I got a question. Yeah, you know, this is a basketball segment, right? This is on TNT, the home of the NBA. You'd think they'd get, like, Ernie Johnson or, like, Craig Sager in for this segment to, like, interview Sean Stasiak about what his thoughts are as he's going for this record. They could have got Marv Albert. He could have been like, St- Mr. Stasiak, I have some fighting questions. Yes, it counts. <laughs> My God. For three. Yes. All I did. Things. All those takes of him missing sound like all of his uh, screw-ups in his awesome appreciation uh, video. He's clearly the mecca of manhood uh, with, with these shots. He's just a beast. But he's he's making them, and the blonde girl's impressed. Um, on the wrestling show, we then cut to a wrestling promoter or writer, if you will, named Eric Bischoff, in the back with a quote-unquote professional wrestler named Hugh Morris. So we do have some wrestling. And he Hugh tells Morris him that wins. Hugh Morris wins the Billy Graham lookalike contest here. Oh, what's with the – he look, you know what? I, I have this down. I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but his pants, they look like – he looks like Tetis from Final Fantasy X because one of his pants is cut completely at the above the ankle. Does anybody get that reference? Or I'm going to just be out here having my dick hanging out. I've never played a Final Fantasy game, but I, I am familiar with 10, since that was the first PS1 on PS2, right? That was the first Final one on PS2. All I know about Final Fantasy 10 is that it was uh, the Royal Rumble 2002 sponsor. It sure freaking was, and I loved every commercial for it. It's like, Final Fantasy 10 presents! They say I'm cocky, and I say, what? <laughs> Alright, I want to say something about this segment. Now, if you've ever watched this episode on Peacock, and I highly suggest you do, the closed captioning on Peacock is hilarious. Like, oh, whoever, please. Whoever closed captioned this was, did a very terrible job. Like, at one point, Eric Bischoff says that he's the newt freaking Rockney of pro wrestling, and the captioner captions it as that he is the new freaking parentheses indistinct of pro wrestling. I mean, I, I'm not going to argue with that, though. He is the indistinct of wrestling. Wow. Was there, what else did they do? Well, also, I mentioned in the Facebook chat when we were discussing the episode, Tony Schiavone afterwards says he's more like Eric, the, uh, the Woody Hayes of pro wrestling. Now, Woody Hayes' first name is spelled W-O-O-D-Y, but the captioner put it as Woody with an E, spelled W-O-O-D-E-Y-A's. Now, for the uninitiated, Woody Hayes was a football coach at The Ohio State University, and he's famous for one particular incident in 1979 where he punched an opposing player on the sidelines and lost his job over it. Wow. Wow. I did not. So I have I have two things to say about that information. Two, I appreciate it because I was uninitiated to that story. But cycling back, when you said for the uninitiated, I had an ADD moment and started thinking about Bane saying, no, theatricality and deception, all powerful agents for the uninitiated. That Woody Hayes punch is on like five top ten uh 
number ones basically of like what not to do during a football game. Like it's famous. You know, I have so many relatives that graduated from Ohio State University and I still don't know shit about it. I hate Ohio State. <laughs> hey, hey, my co-host is from Ohio and he hates Ohio State University with passion. So Yeah, I just it, it it's really it's a real toxic level of fandom, I see. But you know, it is what it is. I don't really, can't believe I actually said something toxic fandom as a fan of like Star Wars and shit like that. Hey, insert <laughs> insert Urban Meyer joke here. I I'm constantly entertained by headlines I read about that person though. And my wife used to drag me to his hometown. Uh, she did some, some university, and she she would have to go up to the campus in his town, and, and it was the worst place on earth. Ugh. Sorry if you're from there, everybody. Anywho, um, is there a professional wrestling match made here? Yes, Jeff Jarrett versus Scott Steiner versus Hugh Morris. It's a career threatener for Hugh um, if the MIA interferes. I think that's it, because if that is, we have ourselves a professional wrestling match. Unless anyone wants to talk more about Hugh Morris. We can. No, I'm good. All right. Yeah, enough about you, Morris. Fair enough. I, I kind of feel like those are good words to live by, so we, we should probably do that. The Wall defeats Horace Hogan via a one-handed throat lift through a table because it's a tables match, The Wall and Horace Hogan. This entire match on the hard camera side, there was a guy talking on his cell phone. This is the year fucking 2000. I'm having heart palpitations thinking about how expensive this phone call is. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, because these guys certainly weren't giving me anything else to think about with their professional wrestling acting. Yeah. I, said that Hor- I said Horace had some nice DDTs and that, um, you know, that he threw Kidman like a ragdoll and Kidman interferes. He does. He does. That is true. Um, at one point, the wall does hit the big boot and Hudson's appalled. He goes, that's his uncle's move. Yeah, I'm funny. still a little confused. Is, Hog- is Horace trying to be a heel or is he trying to be a baby face? You know, like these are the many uh, turns by Horace Hogan. Well, he is a man of many faces. <laughs> <laughs> Literally and figuratively. I thought that, that is... was, I mean, that's the man of a thousand gimmicks. So the, um, it's, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's not, but Miss Hancock is out to watch as well. We should probably, you know, note that for our longtime listeners because she keeps showing up in these random segments. I don't remember where it goes. Did you guys have any, like when she came out? I mean, obviously, hey, it's Stacey Keebler. I'm happy. But at the same time, what's the wrestling point of all of, of her coming out? Um, I, I think just to like scout. I mean, I thought she was sent by Russo to like just scout like who's a good talent and whatnot. And then, you know, lo and behold, she just comes out one time. She's like, you know what? Hit my music. Wow, 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 wow. I know her theme music way too well because I have watched a lot of 2000 WCW. It's all I remember was like, rah, 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 rah. I, will not, I cannot lie. It actually fits like 
it's actually pretty fun. I don't know. I don't want to get into the the, the intricacies of Stacy Keebler's late 2000 summer performance, but her character and the music go so well together. It's just funny because oh. she, she plays it very pretty smart considering what they're asking her to do. I'll give her credit. Oh, yeah. It does end with a shitty choke slam. Um, I don't know. These guys just weren't, I don't know. They weren't doing anything for me. No. Uh, I'd probably give it uh, three quarters of a star. I'm giving it a star and a half just for Stacey Keebler. Yeah, I'm going to give my ranking after we talk about the aftermatch shenanigans because that's where the joke comes from. Actually, you know what? I'll bump it up to a star because of of what Mike Awesome does. So I'll give it a star. There you go. Mike Awesome does run out, and uh, you know they're all beating on Horace. You've got the Wall, Horace Hogan. I think Kidman is still too as well, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, eventually Hulk Hogan does come down, and all three guys have to immediately start selling for him, like it's a 1930s like fight film fight. Like it's really awkward because they're selling like kind of like it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. That's I think that's where I got my reference from. Um, until Awesome like bumps into him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the ref starts calling for the bell. Okay. And normally in these situations, you get like, ding, 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 and then you pause for dramatic effect, and then you start ringing the bell again, right? Whoever yep. the fucking timekeeper was, was just laying into it. Did this distract anyone else? Not me, because I didn't notice. No, I didn't notice that he was like just not stopping the bell. Like he was just kept going on and on. I did not notice that at all. It's so strange. Uh, but it eventually, speaking of strange things, it ends with an awesome sunset, awesome power bomb. And that's what gives my that's what bumps it up to a star because I thought that was really cool by Mike Awesome. Hey, that just shows you that WCW wasted him when he still had that awesome power bomb moves. Thank you. We've been saying it week after week, Mike. And, and you know, we were actually uh, hypothesized that a, a Hulk Hogan, Mike awesome match would be awesome. Like on a pay-per-view. Oh, oh well, I would have, I would have paid money to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And he's doing all these things to Hogan that Hogan usually doesn't take. That's Hogan's cousin. I think either that's yeah. Hogan's cousin. Like, yeah. Mike, Mike awesome, awesome was. Yeah. They're related. Yeah. Wow. Now I'm so angry <laughs> because I always had in my head that Hogan was doing this, you know, because he like uh, awesome had potential or something, but it was just nepotism. Uh, by coincidence. Yeah. But still, though, that like, I mean, Hogan took that like a Hogan took that like a champ. Like, you know, you're not getting you're not powerbombing Hulk Hogan like that. And Mike Awesome pulled it off. Like, I would say, like. Hogan probably trusted Mike to like not hurt him, you know, but like it was really cool. Right. It, that's what's always stood out to me is how much awesome gets on Hogan during this time frame. You would think that the match was building to them at Slambury, which I kind of wish it was. Well, um, can I talk about that for a second? I'm going to talk about it again. Like um, when we do the Slambury show, if I'm allowed back on after this. Absolutely. Um, I still feel pissed off that we got robbed of um, not getting that Mike Awesome Kevin Nash uh, match that um, happened on the um, 
on the first night that Mike Awesome arrives, he just power bombs uh, Mike. He just power bombs Kevin Nash, and it goes nowhere. So I guess Kevin Nash was still playing the injured wrestler, but it was like, dude, you kind of robbed us of like Kevin Nash versus Mike Awesome. Well, Nash purposely sits out the first part of this angle to kind of wait for it to settle down, to I think kind of see where the chips are going to lay. You know, because if he's here at the beginning, he's he's taking bumps for Awesome and laying down for Awesome. You got to yeah. think. But still, it was like, oh, are we going to see this? And I feel like we never saw the Mike Awesome versus Kevin Nash match. But I could be wrong. But I feel no, like you're not wrong. You're not. You're not. Because when Nash comes back, he immediately gets into the title picture. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Awesome just goes further down the card as the months progress. Yeah. So. Um, so. Yep. And now, hey. Vampiro. <laughs> Yeah, I gave it one overly enthusiastic bell ringer to circle back to that gag, but it does immediately cut to black and white handheld footage in a cemetery. It's the Vampiro Witch Project because you know somebody in the production department just like rented that and was like, we got to do this. <laughs> or Vampiro got everybody in a circle and he's like, guys, I want to show you this cool movie. It's going to change your life. And it's like the Blair Witch Project because I can see Vampiro being one of those guys who really got into it. Oh, yeah. He basically insinuates he's not, I mean, Vampiro's there on a tombstone, basically insinuating that he wants to fuck Sting in the cemetery. At least that's the vibe <laughs> I got from it. Um, so if you know someone you love is buried in a cemetery in Birmingham, Alabama, I mean, you may want to go clean the tombstone. I don't know. But it was he was basically insinuating that Sting needed to join him so they could start a holy union in the cemetery. And then it just fucking cuts to commercial, right? It's it's such a strange cut. I mean, do you guys expect to go from a sunset powerbomb to a cemetery? No. Well, it is WCW, so I would say so. Yep. I do kind of feel happy that that's what I paid for. <laughs> <laughs> you saw well, something good, but now you got to go to a cemetery. It was like, well, we not everything can be good. Uh, I know, I know. And, you know, it was strange, too, because I didn't initially think that i because I, I remember this segment i did not remember it was a segment that got cut into multiple segments because this is just a little tease we'll be coming back to the cemetery a little bit later as oh yeah yeah um but before we can get there we've got to hang out a little bit with the batman and his robin liz you know right yeah uh he he comes down to the ring and cuts a promo with liz on her uh, her leash and he's calling out Lex. There's a sign in, this, in the crowd that says, Vince Russo sleeps with goats. This thing's actually, yes. Somebody <laughs> actually has proved that. Someone has proved that Russo sleeps with goats. Ah, um, but even the sign is... Yeah, please. Even better, there's a sign that says, Bishop plus Russo, the new Nitro girls. <laughs> These Alabamians and their signs, roll tide. I'll tell you what, they're some fucking geniuses. Yes. Roll damn tide. They're, uh, they have a really, and so it's really brief. He cuts this shit and calls out Luger. Then they leave the ring, but they have the hardest fucking time getting Liz safely out of the ring. I mean, it's still an absorbent amount of time, right? Like, do you think Macho Man was still, like, having, like, a, oh, you better not hurt Miss Elizabeth now? Well, we, 
in just a couple of days, we'd have a, a, an opportunity to ask him. There's a little tease for yeah. the next episode. WCW must die. Yeah. <laughs> Still fun. Um, Hudson definitely says he's got her on a little kitty leash. <laughs> which is a good, which is a good night, but I still wrote it down because he's no, just got no, the audacity like, in his voice. And that was another thing too. Tony Shabai was like, "Yeah, like the ones the parents uh, have at the mall with their kids." And all I could think of is that Tony Shabani definitely had his kids on a kid leash when they were little. <laughs> you think he was yelling for Lois to remember to get the kid leash before they went out to the, the mall or something like that? <laughs> Lois, sweetheart, get the kid leash. And this was a random Tony Schiavone impression. I can't really do Tony Schiavone unless you're like, fans, the greatest night in the history of our sport. Like, you have to actually mimic something he's saying for me. I can't just do it. Lois, don't forget the uh, kid leash here as we go to the Mall of America. Lois, the kid leash, it's not in the format. I don't know where we're going next. Fans, you're just as good as mine. But yeah, basically, I was just like, Tony Schiavone definitely has memories of holding his kids on a leash. At some Atlanta mall, just holding his kids on a leash. Lois, I'm getting damn tired of this. I've had a hell of a day holding these kid leashes. I'm tired. I want to go home. Uh, we do, luckily, though, after the kitty leash leaves our, our screen, we get to another professional sports entertainment match. Hugh Morris de- defeats Jeff Jarrett and Scott Steiner via what I'm calling six-string shenanigans. So yeah. that that's literally what happens in the match. Like that's you know if you're when you're looking up the results online, it's gonna tell you that it's gonna leave out the part though where before the match as Jarrett's coming out of the ring, they focused on the topless Jeff Jarrett WCW <laughs> magazine cover. Oh, yes. With the title of the article called All the Stroke. I'm this is not shtick. I'm telling you what literally happened on the television screen. And this then is, this is real. Yeah, and then they turn the page to the to the article and it says and it's again it's like topless Jeff Jarrett in front of like a field and it's in the article steps is called stepping out. Yes. <laughs> now look I'm totally down with Jarrett, however you know he is. I'm down with it. But what's he telling us with this article? Maybe he's stepping out of his dad's shadow. If he wants to play for the other team, that's his business. I'm not going to judge him. Yeah. I mean, I think this this is – I don't know if Russo was ever writing WCW Magazine. And I'm not saying this is quote-unquote funny. But what I am saying is I do think Russo would think this is funny. And I don't know if this is a rib. Like, I would love confirmation – I'm, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. Um, you know, oh, yeah, hopefully it wasn't Jerry Jarrett writing these articles. <laughs> I don't know, man. It, this is definitely early level TNA stuff, if it's true. Because I don't know just what it feels like. But I also love early TNA. So well, let me ask this. Do you think Jeff Jarrett and his dad got along when Jeff was in WCW? I mean, Jerry is there, you know, like. I, know I think strange, I know they have like an estranged relationship era, as they say, like, you know, it's a little bit confusing, but it's like, wonder how their relationship was at this time period where it's like your son's like the world heavyweight champion. Well, Russo is in power behind the scenes. So I don't I got to think they they always historically clashed. Right. Isn't that like one of the early stories of TNA, Jerry Jarrett and Russo not getting along? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So, but I mean, it could be. I mean, you're, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things we're going to have to hypothesize about. Like, potentially, what could happen at the top of the hour? Because, again, they keep fucking saying top of the hour when it's DDP and Tank. Uh, what do you guys think of this match? Um, Greg, you want to go first? I'll you go first. Um, I'm going to give it, like, two and a half stars. So, it's like, as this show slowly goes on, the matches for me, like, go up in quality, which is something. I did like the uh the, the guitar shot he gave on Scott Jarrett. Yeah, I can't argue with that. That was pretty good. I just feel like I don't know, this match is definitely what sub three minutes. I thought it went five at least. I don't know. I felt like it was an opportunity. like look, I'm not saying Hugh Morris is interesting. It's unfortunate because I think if they would have focused more on Jarrett and Steiner, uh, but I guess it is too early to do one on one. Yeah. And it's really it's heel versus heel. That's true. So, like, this is what I don't understand. Um, so I'll get my thoughts on it. Um, I thought it was funny how Scott is doing all the work. Meanwhile, Jared is just posing on the turnbuckles. <laughs> and then he wants to get the cover, but then Scott won't let him. And then it's like, dude, like, aren't you guys supposed to be on the same team, like, of the new blood? And, like... Why are you hitting Steiner with a guitar? You know, like that's what I didn't understand. It was like, dude, are you guys supposed to be on the same team? Are you not? Like, is Scott the in betweener? Because we know what side, we know what side Jared's on. But it's like Scott, like, are you supposed to be a new one or a millionaire? Well, Grody, after seeing that WCW magazine cover, it's obvious what team Jeff is on. <laughs> what is um, crazy is that I mean they're trying to play off of the like Steiner wants the title because you know that's one of the earliest dissensions in the new. Yeah, but I think it's too early if you want Scott Steiner to play on the new blood, like have him go into the title picture. That's just that's just me and like storyline booking. You know, it's like if you want Steiner to be like your, I would say like your associate. You know, like don't have him chase the title or else he's not going to play for your team. Uh, I gave this a star and a half. I like the uh, Hugh Morris laying the moonsault, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think he missed it at least once. Did he land it the second time after the shot, or was it just that um, he covered? I forgot how the match ended. I'm sorry. I thought that. He's in the Steiner recliner, and Jarrett hits him with the cage, or with the cage, my God, with the guitar. But does, does he go for the moonsault after that, or did he just no? Right? He no. just pins him. Yeah, Scott Snyder's not selling for that fucking moonsault. <laughs> I like the um, I like the Hugh Morris uh, moonsault. I, I, I would say like, Hugh Morris has like a really great um, has a good version. Has like probably one of the best versions of the moonsault besides Angles, but that's just me. Not for sure. Um, I gave it. I didn't know what to give it because I did enjoy the ridiculous grandstanding between Jarrett and Steiner. They would hit a move and then grandstand while the other person's doing all the work. So I gave it something for the effort. I just didn't know what to give it. I feel like the star and a half really goes with it. Yeah, I would say that's fair for sure. I mean, it wasn't awful, but they did what they were asked to. And Hugh Morris still has a job because the MIA didn't interfere, which is unfortunate because I really, really wanted to see Van Ham. He makes me feel special. Who who doesn't love Van Hammer? I know. So we're cutting, though, back to the cemetery for Chapter 2 of the Vampiro Witch Project. 
Sting arrives and promptly sells for some tree branches when he turns around and bumps into him. Is this what the script's calling for or a fucking technical gaffe that made it to film? Maybe both. <laughs> That's what I'm going to hope. Oh, wow. I don't know. There are a lot of bad angles in this uh, scene. Um, and a Tony Schiavone takes great pride that WCW might have the first graveyard match. It's like WCW Nitro has the first graveyard match. Woohoo. And it's like, okay, thank you. Yeah, it's very strange. I feel like it's too early for this, for these guys. They've just been all over the place. Also, Scott Hudson um, making reference that Sting didn't take a bath after the blood. And I was like, does Scott Hudson have Sting's bath time schedule? Well, yeah, that's the thing, too. He's trying to show how hard, you know, this is, you know, He's trying to sell that Sting. Yeah, he's trying to sell that he's like a badass and hardcore. Like he didn't even take a bath. Yeah. And, but yet he says bath instead of show. <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, before the actual match starts, though, we do cut back uh, for the MIC, the Misfits in Celebration. They're hanging out, stoked. The humor still has his job, and Bischoff fires him anyway. Oh, but Van Hammer's in the, in the frame for a few moments. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know there was a part three to the graveyard. I thought it was like, oh, so it's the arrival, then the brawl. Okay, my bad. Yeah. Like, oh, dude, you're you're all good, man. I mean, it's the thing is, is that it's such compelling television. We all can't wait to talk about it. But we're once we're one segment away. I know. We come to the back now. Um, it's a really awkward segment that doesn't age well. They're in the locker room and Vince Russo is trying to get changed for his upcoming professional sports entertainment match. And Liz is like watching him change and like treating him like he's a piece of meat. And uh, then we just cut back, uh, you know, to commercial, but I don't know. I didn't like this. I didn't like her treating Mr. Russo. Like he was just an object for sex. I didn't like that. uh, Liz was on a kid's leash, but you know, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess it does. I, I guess it swings both ways in this evening. But no, Ru- Russo's getting dressed and he, you know, he he's giving Liz a hard time. And, you know, he's insinuating that she's only back there because he's getting ready for his match. But yeah, he's handcuffed to her. And I think that's the gag, which I'll give him is kind of funny. He's playing such a delusional hero. He doesn't even realize he's handcuffed the woman. Yeah. Then we have, as previously mentioned, the first ever graveyard match in history. Vampiro defeats Sting via Slamathon 1996. If anyone gets that, I'll give you a dollar. It's not even a match. No, no, it's not really. It's not. Um, this is, this you, is like guys? the inspiration for the final deletion right here. <laughs> I, so I like where your head's at, but I think it's too, it's too bad to qualify as that. So I don't know if you noticed this, but I did. Um, there's a very bad camera angle where Vampiro is basically under 
Oh, like it's uh, he's like under the stone, like the stone walkway, and it's like Sting. Did you really not see that Vampiro was hiding under there? And it's like, where where did he go? Where did Vampiro go? And literally, Sting walks right past him, and then that's when Vampiro hits him with the uh, the tombstone and throws him into the grave. You know, that's the exact shot that let me realize that I was sitting on a gold mine with this entire package. I love this segment. <laughs> but there's a that, that, that camera angle was so bad because, like, clearly Sting saw where Vampiro went and clearly had to act like, oh, where did he go? Where did he go? <laughs> uh, it, it, it does also remind me of the part where Sting yells for Vampiro and Vampiro, like, grabs the top of his pants and starts running away like he's a, a scamp. <laughs> Um, Scott Hudson goes. I, I I did like it though. It was like, man, Vampiro really completely owned Sting in the graveyard. And then Scum, well, we'll get to it though. Like he throws him, he throws him into the um the grave, but he doesn't bury him. Like you know, he just like throws the wheelbarrow on top. So no getting buried alive tonight, Sting. No, and uh, he does get him in position by hitting him with a shovel, to which we get, he's got a shovel, good night! That's five. <laughs> Drink. Five good um, nights. Before he hits him with the tombstone, it's very dramatic. Sting goes, who are you? And Vampiro says, I'm the monster. You should have been. And then, boom, bangs him with the tombstone. It's pretty fucking cool. I gave it 400 degrees of Fahrenheit, which is the recommended cookie temperature of a tombstone pizza. Oh, I gave this five stars on entertainment alone. This was, oh man, it touches my heart to hear you say that. I couldn't go full on it, but I was... Star entertainment, you know, like, it's silly, but like, it was kind of cool because like, it's too... It's basically two like shadows of darkness, you know, one on like the good side of the dark and like one on the bad side of the dark, if that makes any sense. So, no, I get it. And I, it's actually I enjoy hearing you say that because I feel like that's what they're going for. It's like, who is the real prince of darkness or the king of darkness? Yeah, it just it, it doesn't. I don't know. I, I feel like they don't bring it to the forefront enough. But, uh, you know, it is. It is what it is. It's the best they can get out of it. Um, do you think that this would have gone better if it was the demon versus Sting? Well, if you'd like to know the answer to that, just stick around and we'll eventually cover the episode where I that happens. Know, but it's like, eh, you know. <laughs> Dude, I like me the screaming demons. I know that's kind of out of left field. And that'll be covered someday. But the Norman Smiley... Demon tag team is one of my my all timers. In the back. Oh wait, um, can I ask you one question? Um, did 
So does like, uh, is this also like in, during this whole segment, is this also where uh, Scott Hudson goes, he's alive? Like, was that also or was that in the next segment? Yeah, because yeah, Sting's hand comes up like he's the chicken oh, okay. after so fighting Peter same, Griffin. It's all in the same segment, yeah. And it's like, of course he's alive, dude. It's not like Vampiro poured dirt over the grave, man. So it's like Sting could just walk out, man. Of course he's alive, Scott. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Um, let's see. I believe next it's is a team package in the back. Yeah, Rick Blair and uh, Lex. It's very awkward that uh, Flair's just watching Luger do the arm pumps, right? He's working the ropes. Yeah, he's just doing arm pumps while Rick's like, yeah, you go get him, Lex. Do those arm pumps. I feel that way. Look at this, Russo. I don't feel like this is a great combination. Like, you know, it's like everyone's, like, with somebody. Like, this combination of, like, Rick Flair and Lex Luger just doesn't, like, it doesn't tickle me at all. It looks like they're doing it a spot for an infomercial for, like, a fitness machine or something. (laughs) i tell you what, fans. If you want to invest, call 1-900-LEX-PUMPS and talk to old Ric Flair. We'll get you one of these Lex Luger exercise machines. Woo! Like, I'm former professional wrestler Ric Flair, and I'm former professional wrestler Lex Luger. We want to talk to <laughs> you about life insurance. <laughs> Seriously, we go. I, all I did, I, I literally, like, stumbled upon... Um, like a bunch of good time clips of uh, JJ, and now I see JJ uh, selling um, Dino Mine Insurance. Oh, I see those ads on Buzzer like all the time. Like three o'clock in the morning, no less. <laughs> wow, that is that is out of control. I've not seen anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> We do head back. Uh, we head back to the the actual arena itself, and Tank Abbott defeats DDP. Uh, I don't know. I guess just because the script says so. <laughs> this match is interesting. I give this match a hum. I give it a. I I literally give it a done. I'm sorry. Like because like I mean it's funny in like some ways, but like this is just dumb on paper. Number one, if you get hit outside of the ring, you don't get disqualified. And you don't even have to pin your opponent in the ring. All you have to do is knock him out of a bottle, and the referee will stop the match, and you will win. Oh, yeah. That whole thing. Actually, I gave it a quarter. Surprisingly, I gave it a quarter star. Oh, that whole ending was stupid. (laughs) Did I pretty much summon it up, Johnny? You got anything else to say? Um, at one point, somebody hits a trash can, and he, we get, good night! He just knocked out a trash can! And that's Number six. six. <laughs> I, I gave it, it one Seth Rollins tackle in lieu of the fan interference. <laughs> Actually, we do get a fan interference um, later in the show. Oh, for sure, and it's 
some of the best shit I've ever seen. It's one of my favorite moments of all time. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I actually had to rewind that, but when we get there, I'll tell you why. Yeah. Well, Matt, they do a they do an announcer stand up, and Madden postulates that it's not Scream Three or Scream Four or Scream Five when talking about Arquette playing this role as world champion. He says it's Scream and Scream Again. So that's just like Scream Two, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Perhaps David Arquette should watch out for, uh, you know, guys obsessed with movies and, and news reporter ladies. I don't know. I don't know what he's fucking getting at, but he's I get the point he's trying to make, but he says it in such a stupid way. Madden loses a point of credibility for me here. But they really sell this like it's the death of Diamond Dallas Page. They put him on a stretcher and he's in like dire, dire straits, right? Yeah, and then, like, you know, the classic, uh, you know, the old trick of let us out, man, let us out. <laughs> oh, God, that's right. Canyon and fucking uh, the world champ are locked in, like, a locker room during this match. I forgot all about that. What is the point of cutting to that? Is it so they can't interfere? Yep. I, I guess. I don't know, but I feel like the ref had already called. I don't know. It was just there's a lot of cutting to the backstage area during matches, specifically on this episode of Nitro. That I think interferes with the fan experience more than it enhances it personally. And when you get to the David Arquette Tank Gavin match, you'll see that as well, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. It was a it was a bad call to cut to the back so much. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Hogan so and Awesome know. get into a scuffle in the back. That was something. Yeah. And then Kidman wants to talk trash while Hogan is busy. So that's typically, you know, but that's typically a scared heel. Talk trash while your big bodyguard is taking care of business. I don't know. So I think to put a bow on it, this is this whole angle is done to sort of incapacitate DDP, you know, for the for the night so they can have their way with Arquette. Because DDP does like a stretcher job, et cetera, et cetera, gets carried away. Uh, you know, we cut to the back for another segment. And it's Mike Awesome in his locker room. And within like a second, Hogan bursts into the scene and they brawl for like 10 seconds. And then it's a cut again. It was pretty cool 10 seconds though, right? Yeah. I want to see more of Hogan and Awesome brawl. God, I do too. And I, I, it pisses me off so much because, you know, spoiler, they're going to make that the main event for the end of the evening. And I will save that, but it's just not what I wanted. It's very frustrating. We cut back to the arena uh, for an interview segment, which is lovely. It's the kid, though. It's Billy Kidman. When he's coming down, though, um, Tony Schiavone does this really awkward pitch for the brand new New Blood t-shirt. Did anybody else catch that? No, I sadly did not. Oh. They, they all, which is sad because I kind of wanted to buy one, and it's one of the wrestling shirts that I kind of always wished I had. Um, not that I have, like, a ton or a collection hey, or anything. Hey, hey. Homage makes those WWE t-shirts. You think they'd like make a new blood t-shirt? In the, uh... I I did have a WCW invasion t-shirt though, because I went to a show shortly after 9-11 uh, that was an alliance. It's the hey, I sound like the WWE press corps. It was for the first time in history the WWF champion and the WCW champion team up to face the WWE tag team champions or some shit like that. Because the rock and angle team to fight the Dudleys. But I bought the shitty WCW logo t-shirt and I lost it and I wish I still had it. Oh, 
It sucked, man. I I don't know. I kind of like that red logo as opposed yeah. to this, this gray one. It's a cool logo. I don't know. I think so many people have such bad memories of the invasion that they can't get past the logo. But guys, give it a chance. We're actually starting the foundation for the Give the WCW logo a chance. Uh, if you'd like to donate money, just tweet me at Save Martha Russo, and um, we'll make arrangements. You guys okay with the split 90-10-10, right? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> um, it's just a lot of Kidman saying that uh, Hogan's a piece of shit, and he, he opens his mouth and opens up a challenge. What did you guys think up until the moment of the challenge? Did you think that we were going to be blessed with Hulk Hogan himself, or is he too busy with awesome? He's too busy with awesome. Like I said, um, Kidman just basically, you know, opens up his mouth because you know that Hogan is busy in the back. So it's his perfect time to get it across. He is certainly busy. Oh, hold on. I just want to say um, that laughing was I actually got the joke safe more for Russo in your, in your Twitter handle. Wow. Uh, I'm, 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 I don't know if I should do a joke about how long it took for you to get it or that I'm stoked that you actually got it. Save, know, just remember, save Martha. You have to save Martha. If you save Martha, Vince Russo never becomes the Batman and never kills WCW. I mean, that's kind of the shtick, right? Yeah. And despite what anybody says, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is a fucking awesome film. And there's nothing comical about them saying Martha. It's a deeply resonant emotional moment. And you finally realize, oh, yeah, their mom's names are both Martha. Huh? Yeah, I know. Then that's always kind of been a gag. But at the same time, no, I'm not going to. That's a whole other different podcast where I have to defend that movie to people. I don't know. Um, did, did anybody pick... Uh, Oh, uh, Kevin Owens for the open challenge. Did anybody else think he was going to open it? Is he the Kevin best Nash. open challenge? Oh, no. It's Kevin Nash? I thought, bro, my format said Owens. Um, so with that segment of um, with that segment of Terry Taylor and Kevin Nash in the back, look at Kevin Nash like, Terry, do I go out now? Uh, yeah, Kev, go out. Go, go, go. Like, it's your time, Kev. That's your cue. So, like, Kevin Nash is like, Terry, give me my cue. He tells him he's late and he's missing the fun. And Nash goes, well, I mean, this is not me doing shit. He goes, that's my gimmick. I'm always late. But we can barely hear him. Because, again, when they cut to the back during these in-ring segments tonight, the audio is really shitty backstage, I feel like. I always thought the audio was bad with the microphones, like, altogether in WCW. Well, I guess that's why they called it WCW. Uh, Nash eventually limps his ass down to the ring. Um, And and I will say this. Billy Kidman performs like a beach ball for him. I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah, he basically just gets thrown around for Nash. There's a real fantastic moment uh, of irony here because as uh, what do they call it when you is it when you beal someone when you like throw them across the entire ring? Nash at one point throws Kidman across the entire ring and this graphic 
for Slamboree zooms into screen, reminding you to spend your hard-earned money to watch the guy getting tossed across the entire length of the ring wrestle Hulk Hogan, a guy who's also 10 times bigger than him uh, in six days. It was the worst possible time to drop in this marketing because you're trying <laughs> to sell Kidman and Hogan, right? And Nash, Nash is not laying down for Kidman. He's not giving him anything here. No. And, you know, at first, I thought we had fans in the ring because who comes to rescue uh, old Billy Kidman but his old stable mates, Eminem and Conan. Rey Mysterio looks like fucking Eminem here. I hate, 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 hate maskless Rey Mysterio. That being said, I was kind of stoked that it's time to see the Filthy Animals return because I kind of love maskless Rey Mysterio. Yeah, it's true. And Scott Hudson says, good God, they don't even wrestle for us. And I'm going to give him half. That's six and a half. Really, though, like how long were uh, Conan and Mysterio away when the Radicals went to the WWF? It was like, guys, you're not going to get contracts. You might as well go back to WCW where at least you'll get a paycheck, you know? Well, were they legitimately not getting paid here, or were they just off camera? Like, I I'm, I'm don't fuzzy on know this. because, like, the whole like there was a time where even Kidman like left for a little while because I guess he was frustrated just as like the uh, just as like the um, Guerrero and Saturn and all of them like were upset so i don't know if like they just weren't wrestling at the time or that they were just completely like went home for a little while you know what i'm saying well i know famously douglas tried to be a part of that group and uh they do they they referenced that on like the reboot episode they're like he doesn't even work here he walked out with his buddies you know yeah basically says the same thing yeah, but then Shane was like, oh, well, I tried to get a job with them, but then they left me behind. They didn't even tell me they were going to Stanford. Yeah. Um, but even though these guys are making their triumphant return to television, Nash is still just laying the beat down on him again. Like, this is the worst possible way to return to major stars. I mean, am I crazy? Yeah, but it makes Kevin Nash look good. It does. And for that, I got to give him credit. He's always he's always working the boys. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't know. I'm just, we're just having a little fun. Just work the boys a little bit. Get some, get some you know, some chicken wings. Watch a movie. Call Sean. I don't know. Ness chases them to their low rider truck, right? Yep. Yeah. I was fearing for his quads because he's limping pretty hard. Do you think oh. he's just legitimately injured or what? <laughs> oh, I think he's definitely injured. <laughs> I know at one point he goes to throw a boot to Mysterio and he like stutter steps legitimately. And it reminded me of that moment from Raw where his fucking quad tears. And oh, so I, yeah. when, he had to do it over again. Yes, he did. And he like, hey, you know, just like any trained you know, professional wrestlers should do when you fuck up a spot, just redo the spot. God, so amateurish. But uh, I, so I legitimately was buying that he was just all out of sorts trying to walk during this segment. 
Well, Ray, I think, doesn't he? Didn't he like tri- trip over one of the wires while he was running to the car? Oh my God! Yeah, he did, and that got caught on camera. He so does. And then they can't pull the truck out of like they can't speed away, and Nash just catches up to him, limping and all. And it cuts to commercial. It's the it's it's a fucking glorious WCW moment. There just happens to be a limo reversing at the same time. Oh, I love, you know, God, you know, if that would have fucking happened and Vince McMahon was in charge, somebody would have, multiple people are losing their job that moment. Oh, Kevin Dunn would never let that happen. That's true. That's true. Dunn, he is, he's, is he just a prick or a prick director? Does anybody know what the the scoop on him is? I think he's just a prick in real life. Fair enough. I didn't know if it was like a situation where he takes the directing very seriously and he's hard to work with, but he's a really nice guy or just eh, kind of a dick. He seems like a dick in general. Fair enough. When the commercial comes back, we get just like a half a second or like maybe 10 seconds of footage of Nash like mercilessly beating Conan in the car. And Tony Schiavone says, He's trying to sell a 1-800-COLLECT spot, and he says, 1-800-COLLECT is an easy way to save money, but it's not an easy way to escape Kevin Nash. I don't know. That kind of made me laugh. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Our next glorious contest is Vince Russo versus Lex Luger. I didn't really know how to rank this, because this is I don't know if this is a match so much as it is a clusterfuck. Was this anybody else's favorite segment of the evening? Um, I think that I actually enjoyed the uh, the Nash beatdown of the filthy animals the best. Oh, it was great. The Nash beatdown was awesome. Okay, okay, okay. I'll take that. I agree, I agree. I did really enjoy the Nash filthy animals segment. I thought it was a glorious, you know explosion of fuck fucking catastrophe but that being said this match has if you want to call it a match fucking cop spraying mace on the professional wrestlers and to me that's like gotta be fucking top-notch mount rushmore russo shit right yeah, but to me, this is a paper this is just basically selling the pay-per-view because you know that um it's gonna be Shane Douglas versus Ric Flair, and it's gonna be Buff Bagwell versus Lex Luger. And there's a lot of weird moments in here too. Like, yes, Luger is just spends the entire segment fighting through like an army of security guards trying to get to Russo, who's in the ring with Liz. You know, basically insinuating that he's ready to wrestle, like he's here to wrestle. Come on, Vin, or come on, Lex, just get in the ring, and. Luger is like Hulk rampaging on these guys. Uh, totally buffed comes down and takes out Flair. So then Chronic runs in for the save because they want the tag team titles. And then fucking Lex Luger gets maced by the cops. And I was laughing pretty hard as Luger tries to sell what being maced is like. Now, I've never been maced, but does it hurt? I'm pretty sure it does. Now, why were you maced again? You were telling me off air. 
Uh, but Liz gets it a pretty good bat shot on Russo, though. Did anybody did that impress anybody else? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty good. Um. So yeah, so basically it's just that it's like um. You know, it's Shane Douglas setting up a trap for Flair, and then Buff Bagwell comes out. The chronic thing I didn't understand until I was just like, well, they they helped um. They helped screw like they helped Russo screw Flair and Luger out of the titles, but then they don't get a WCW tag team title shot, so they're pissed off about it. Yeah, I think Russo's been acting a little too tough with them. Like Chronic's characters should get one over on Russo a little bit more than they do because these guys are so low on the totem pole to begin with. They really need to be pushed to the moon if you're like properly. Does that make sense? I was a fan of I was a fan of Brian Clark um, in Chronic. I'm I just think Brian. that like he had the he had the physique. Like I mean, like you know, Adams is good, but like I feel like Clark had like the physique. You know, Clark should have gone further, but I have a soft spot for Adams because of, of like that three man demolition team is when I like first started to become a big fan. Oh, I'm blaming you. So yeah. But also it's that like also that um Adams was like tight Adams was tight with Undertaker too. So it was like if you were tight with Taker, you were like you were respected in a way. Yeah, Savage too. Um, which is interesting because I don't know that like are there ever stories about like Undertaker and Savage being friends? I've always kind of wondered that because they had that Adams connection. Um God, which here we are speculating about the fucking social lives of people from 1994 but we're there so we'll stick with it can you imagine the macho man and the undertaker hanging out that had to be a fucking crazy time (laughs) (laughs) yeah um uh, so then so is this when the crow comes like yeah so like this is where the crow is right well we're getting to that point yes um Uh, okay my bad no, 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 you're good, man. I mean, we have to we have to sort of get – it's WCW's fault, really, because they cut to the back to David Arquette and Canyon, and it's just a quick, like, 10 seconds to indicate that Arquette is scared of what's going to happen. But uh, is this one also – this is also the backstage segment where, like, Liz um, Liz and Russo – like, Russo yells at Liz, right? Am I, am I going in order here? Uh, essentially, you're, you're getting close because uh, – the next segment is when Kevin Nash is, is playing Street Fighter 2 with the truck. Oh, yes! <laughs> Kevin Nash is literally in the fucking Street Fighter 2 bonus stage fighting this car. He's got the sledgehammer, and he's just beating the shit out of it while Conan and Ray are, like, inside watching afraid for their lives. The best part is Ray is <laughs> underneath the car. Like, no, Kevin, don't hurt me. <laughs> he's literally under the car seat. It's so funny. Um, it, it, there's so I don't know like I I don't know that it ages. The filthy animals are a lot of fun to watch. I'm sorry I have a lot of good time. I feel like they had good time doing it. I like Juventud Guerrero's ridiculousness. I'm I'm excited that they're back and, and hope that they bring joy to future episodes of WCW Must Die because I'm all in for the filthy animals. Same. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that when they mace Lex Luger though, Scott Hudson yells, "No, it's not good night." He yells, "Cheese and rice." <laughs> at this point i just want to fucking punch him right in the skull <laughs> I, I i hate scott hudson so goddamn much but 
I'm also greatly entertained by his shitty commentating, so I'm going to have to allow it. Uh, th this is when they put in the cops in the car, or the cop put in the cops in the car. The cops are arresting Chronic and Luger. Does, does Russo yell at Liz here? I don't remember, but I mean, I was also really blissed when taking these notes. I, I think that segment's a little later. Okay, I gotcha. It's at this moment, though, that I they announce that we are getting Hulk Hogan versus Mike Awesome in the main event. When they said this, I paused the Peacock stream and saw there were <laughs> Peacock stream. I saw that there were 22 minutes left in the show. If you're going to put a 2000 Mike Awesome versus, nah, I guess I'll say 2000 because it's not too far gone, a 2000 Hulk Hogan Terry Bollea, why are you not selling it the entire fucking show? You're running a television program. Are you guys as pissed off as I am about this? Yeah, but again, it's all about selling that pay-per-view. And and you know what? I guess you're right. You are right, and it should have tempered my expectations. Uh, because again, you know, we've hypothesized on here, you know, over a couple of shows that a Hogan Awesome, I mentioned earlier, Hogan Awesome match would have been something worth paying for. And and again, I just ugh, it, 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 you're probably right. I had unrealistic expectations. Um, but your favorite moments here now because we get to the crow. You want to lead us you were you were very crow sided. I want you to handle the crow mertainment. I feel like those are all bad puns from um Shits Creek where they do the crow movie. Well, um to be honest, the only thing I remember about the crow scene, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but like as as we say, oh, it's the crow, so, you know, sings a lot. That's his thing. How many crows did WCW train? Oh, no, they're they're crow murderers, my friend. How many crows they're did crow. they kill? And also, um, so if you listen to um, if you listen to the Sting's theme, like with the crow, you can actually hear a little bit of Seek and Destroy by Metallica in like they're trying to blur it out but you can definitely hear seek and destroy i didn't know if you picked up on that johnny or greg but i did and i was like oh man this is like so cool this is like the only time we'll ever hear it so yes and and this is why i think it's so important to maintain the original audio integrity of these broadcasts because and look, I know this is a fucking 2000, year 2000 episode of professional wrestling, but hear me out as an argument for as art for art's sakes. Like, the St Sting doesn't come out to his ring entrance acting like they're playing the sad, slow Crow Sting music. He comes out to Metallica, and he's trying to make that a part of his performance. When you take that away from him, it's an unfair representation of what the actor is doing. That's it. That's all I'll say. But I get they don't want to pay for the music rights, but it pisses me off. To be honest with you, it's like uh, it's, that, that's also with the cats theme too. It's like, like there was there was an old Tupac Shakur song called "How Do You Want It," okay? And in the song, Tupac says, "All I want is money. Fuck the fame. I'm a simple man." Okay. Now this song was a radio single, and they changed the line to "All I want is money plus the fame. I'm a simple man," which completely changes the integrity of the artist's interpretation simply to get it airplay. And that's always pissed me off, and that's always my go-to example of when 
you know, you censor or alter something, it takes away from the artist's interpretation. If you want to call Sting an artist, he's rocking out to Metallica. Now I'll end my tangent. But yeah, I hate the, and it's not censorship, it's it's capitalism. I get that. Uh, now, Johnny, I would agree with you, except that it's the year 2000 and uh, Metallica is involved with that whole thing with Napster at this point. So in this case, I will say they made Ooh, the right decision. I forgot about that completely. Man, I want to know how many laws I broke on Napster when it, back in the day. Like, I would love to see, like, on a chart mapped out for how many laws I broke just individually that weren't actually laws at the time. Crazy. Yeah, uh, I think. I think the statute of limitations has run out at this point. Well, did you guys do Napster? Because I also did like Morpheus and LimeWire, and I'm whoa, I'm really probably saying. I only did LimeWire. I, I was more of a Kazaa light guy. Okay, I oh god, I can't remember if I was on Kazaa or not. I can't remember, but yeah, man, that shit was just rampant. Um, so you're right, fucking with Metallica over music rights in the early aughts was a bad idea. Uh, it, uh, case dismissed. <laughs> But yeah, it, it ends up becoming just a professional wrestling segment where Sting comes down from the rafters. We're still coming down from the rafters in, uh, you know, May of 2000. Still coming down from the rafters. No reason to stop. <laughs> but it takes steam. A re- steam. I call him steam. It's steam. It takes steam <laughs> a ridiculous amount of time to come down on his rappel line and get the like belts off. So Vampiro has plenty of time to find him because there's like a mysterious like seizure light show going on. And and they're just exposing the business with this. This is pathetic. And Vampiro has not looked good at all any week leading to the selling of this pay-per-view. Uh, let's go to Peter one. Is Vampiro the world's biggest bitch for not putting up more of a fight to the script writing or is just, you know, Vampiro a bitch. Oh, Vampiro is totally a bitch. Then and that's correct. That's that's the answer we were looking for. I this experiment or project, whatever you want to call it, revealing year 2000 WCW has broken me a little bit, but it's also made me lose it for Vampiro. I got nothing for this guy. Peter two. Did we do Peter one? Peter two. Spoilers. If you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, if I didn't say that earlier, (laughs) Peter two, what do you got for me with Vampiro? Well, that, um, you know, Vampiro's playing with fire. You can't kill Sting just like you can't kill The Undertaker. So, you know, try and kill him. He's going to come back and he's going to get you. He is just, I don't know, at one point he like hits him with the bat, but it looks like he just smashed his toe. <laughs> I mean, Sting's just, he continue. It's not even so much that Vampiro is, uh, scripted to be mercilessly beaten by sting every week even though he you know gets a one-up on him it's the way that sting actually interacts with vampiro he like doesn't give him his best i'm not saying that sting the person is like trying to bury vampiro but this program does not come across well and does nothing for either one of them and i think you could easily call it a low point of sting's career but that's just me now not that sting had a career that was like noteworthy or anything I don't know. I'm not a huge Sting fan. You guys like Sting? I have his his action figures were always cool. Yeah, yeah. I I had. Did did you guys have those WCW action figures that didn't move when you were little? The the glue figures. 
So I'm not sure if that's the brand, but they they each came with like a gold WCW belt. Yes, that's gold. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, dude. I got Santa Claus brought me all the WCW figures one year and WWF figures. It was like the greatest Christmas of my life. I still oh. tell people about it, as you can tell, because I'm telling people about it on the internet. 38 years old. Well, but if only you kept them mocked, you'd be rich right now. Oh my God. You know, I, I think about that too. Um, well, I don't actually think about that, but I, you know, whenever I tell that story, I do kind of wish, oh man, I would have held on to those. At least, you know, if they were out of box, you know, obviously not worth anything, but they'd be cool to have around. But what are you going to do? Although, on my son's bed is my Ultimate Warrior Wrestling buddy. I will say that. Oh. Yeah, even though I'm a huge Hogan mark, I was kind of on Warrior's side at WrestleMania 6. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit. But what are you going to do? You guys want to shoot some free throws? <laughs> uh, I will. I do. Sean Stasiak's back shooting free throws. Mark Madden or somebody says Stasiak always drives to the hole. I mean, that's the most you're getting out of this is a, is a huh, chuckle from something Mark Madden said. These things are driving me crazy. This oh, this episode of WCW Nitro is not good. No. I mean, I, it's such a come down from Thunder was so spectacular. It's just, it's a real low point for me. Oh, oh we peaked at the graveyard match. This is as good as we're ever going to get. This is the moment, though, where, much like Shawn Michaels, Vince Russo tries to fulfill his boyhood dream because he tries to, like, sneak into the locker room when Liz is getting dressed. Because you know that Vinny Russo wants to go down to Kentucky and find a gal that's just for him. Russo, just like, is is a complete Liz mark. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. Probably did naughty things with her LJN figure back in the day. He is, it's, it is so weird that, like, to get the vibes that Russo writes his character to, like, be with Liz because Russo probably, you know, was sexually awakened by Liz at some point or something like that. Well, I guess he's a little probably too old for that. But anyway, you know, she grew up where he, you know, yeah, and I guess he's a lot older than I am. But you get the point I'm trying to make. So yeah. we do actually get a professional wrestling match after that, though. It's David Arquette defeating Tank Abbott via what I'm calling the Diamond Stunner. David Arquette is bringing it in the opening moments of this contest. He does try to sneak attack Tank Abbott, which I will give him credit for as being as, as smart tactic as I would not want to battle Tank Abbott one-on-one uh, to my doom. Uh, Peter, too, what do you got for me? Did David Arquette raid Evil Knievel's wardrobe? Jesus, he's got some flared out pants, too. He's just, I don't, I don't know. I, his wrestling gear on Thunder wasn't so bad because it looked kind of, okay, it was bad, but it just kind of looked like athletic gear. You know, this is a whole nother level. It's like gold pants, very colorblind, so I'm not sure. Uh, okay. And then also, so this is one of those what happened segments. Bischoff basically tells Jerry, get out there because DDP is coming out. We never see Jerry, but we don't know what happened. Yes. DDP hits the diamond cutter and David Arquette gets the win. And then cut the commercial and then 
we find out, oh, uh, Scott Snyder took out Jeff Jarrett. It's like, well, why didn't you show that? So we could have, you know, gotten somewhere instead of having to see us on the commercial again. And in another brilliant moment of WCW production, when Paige, you know, drives the ambulance in and what have you, and then eventually gets down to the ring and diamond cuts Tank Abbott, they miss it completely. Huh. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to give this uh, three, uh, two quarters of a star. For the champ, two quarters of a star. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one and a half stars. <laughs> I gave it one star for missing the diamond cutter. I gave it one star when they showed the replay of the diamond cutter, and I got to see Tank Abbott sell it, and he does a straight face plant and keeps his legs planked, and I thought it was badass. And then I laughed really hard when DDP was carrying David Arquette to the back like a sack of potatoes. So I gave it one for that. <laughs> I gave it, much like the champ, I gave it three and oh. I gave it three. Uh, this was oh. a pretty fun piece of sports entertainment schlock for me. It wasn't as high as some of the other stuff we've seen in recent episodes, but I did enjoy this segment for what it was. I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah. I love the DDP carry David like it was the ending of Officer to Gentleman when uh, Richard Gere is carrying <laughs> Deborah Winger. <laughs> he does too. It's like this great love story. What's the song from that movie? Oh, movie? Uh, it's uh, Love Lift Us Up Where We Belong. Yes. And he's just carried him because Arquette is like knocked unconscious and he's kind of like groggy. So he's kind of dangling in the wind. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know what, though? I, I do want to circle back. There's a grave in, injustice, like something needs to be pointed out. So DDP hits that, granted, sweet diamond cutter, and Tank does a really sweet sell. I, I do want to give her credit for that. But I counted. He puts Arquette on top of Abbott. I counted to 13 before the three hit the ground. So this is like Booker T, Triple H level of... of having to sell someone's big move for. Do you think Tank Abbott was pissed? Didn't give a shit? Can't count the 13? I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Greg? Uh, I don't think Tank Abbott gave a crap. He's just like, oh, I'm getting paid. Yeah, I, I I gotta think that the guy, who, a man who looks like him, does not care about artistic integrity. <laughs> hey, when, you get, when we get to New Blood Rising, and let me just say, like how Grooney wants to do Slambury, I want to do New Blood Rising. Just for Tank Abbott in whatever getup he's in with three count. That is hilarious. Oh, I believe that's a nipple shirt episode, so it's on. I do love three count Tank Abbott. I, I mean, but, you know, I, you know, you're right. I think that, I don't know. Like, I'm of two two minds of this. Like, I get, especially, like, the Booker T example, like, of, you know, it, it is a long time before there's a three count made. It may not be as long as you think, but it is extended. And what that does for, like, the integrity of the Booker T character. But then on the flip side, Booker T's in, like, the main event, like, a WrestleMania, getting paid. It's kind of like Abbott's point of view of, like, I'm getting paid. I don't care what I do. But, you know, I, that's my Tank Abbott impression, I guess. But it's kind of like, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. 
like Tank Abbott has kind of been unstoppable and they're building him up for Goldberg. So this is kind of a big clean loss. But at the same time, it's Crash TV and I don't think anybody's going to remember it. Does does that make sense? Does, does anybody have a, a strong opinion one way or the other about how long someone should sell something before getting pinned? It's like nothing um, matters. I think there's like uh, I think there should be a limit on how long you uh, sell for a pin. Yeah, and I can see that because if you destroy the credibility of the maneuver, it takes away from the ability for the audience to bite on three counts, maybe, or a potential near fall. So I can see that. So I see the storytelling aspect of that. I've just always. It seems like whenever people present that, they, it's always from the point of view of like, oh, it's, you know, it's destroying the integrity of like wrestling or what have you. It's like, oh, I don't know, man. It's, it's wrestling. I don't really know if it has integrity to begin with. <laughs> but that's just me. You guys think he can do it? You think Sean Stasiak can make one more free throw? Oh, I can believe it. I hope he can do it. So he's like one away, right? And wouldn't it be cool if they had like a graphic on the screen to tell us how many shots he's made throughout the night versus what the actual record is? Yeah, you'd think. You know, I, I, I mean, I just especially because the 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 concept of what the character is trying to accomplish specifically revolves around obtaining a numeric goal. It seems like the writing's on the wall to just put something there. Um, he goes to take a shot, and we, like I said, we don't know what shot it is, but I think he mumbles something about this being the one or something like that. And as his arms pop up, Kurt Henning runs in in his fucking sleeveless turtleneck. All right, I don't know who's dressing this guy. And just kind of like knocks him over and throws the ball carrier on top of him. And that's the end of the segment. Like, it got like four segments of buildup, and that's it. Well, I technically, mean, he never took the shot, so it's like... I I said the exact Yeah, it doesn't thing. count. I believe that. Exactly. I think Stasiak is... Unless Stasiak has casually shot a free throw between now and this moment, he may still be eligible to penetrate into Guinness Book's, Guinness's Book of World Records as a free throw <laughs> shooter. Now, if anyone out there has been to you know sean stasiak to get uh you know their their body system fixed by him as a chiropractor which is absolutely a real thing then let him know that he's still free throw eligible please he's like a chiropractor right yes yeah there you go yeah there you go so you know but i gotta think maybe he's had like a moment in a pickup game over the years where he shot a free throw but if he wasn't exactly the appropriate amount of inches away from the hoop that a free throw is, that's not a free throw and therefore technically is not eligible to count in the free throw competition. I'm just trying to, you know, stop the free throw steal is all. It's an important part of my life. The main event of this show was Mike Awesome defeating Hulk Hogan, Terry Bollea. This match is not what I wanted to see in a Hulk Hogan no. versus Mike Awesome match. No. It's but, very unfortunate. But I will say, Hulk's getup is so amazing. That's just Linda's underwear on his head, right? 
He has like a zebra stripe fucking bandana on tonight. And I, I'm just looking at it thinking, what the fuck is he wearing on his head? And that's the only no thing idea. I could come up with. No idea. But hey, the I love the vest that says F-U-N-B. And they're like, the announcers are like, what does the F-U stand for? <laughs> this is also, speaking of Hogan's vest, the first appearance of TCB. Taken care of Malaya. Oh, God. I fucking love this version of Hulk Hogan. It does not get spoken of when it's, when you talk about the evolution of the Hogan character. Yes. This version of Hulk Hogan should be immortalized in a WWE Mattel figure. I would not. Now, are you, would you purchase one? Oh, yes. In box. Fuck yes. I would probably get one, too, and put it on my little desk at work. But... I would put his fist in the nation of domination position as he's prone to oh, do in this era <laughs> and then turn it backwards. So the F U N B jacket is visible and people would come up and they'd be like, Hey John, how's your day? And I'd be like, you know what, dude, the N B stands for new blood. You tell me what the F U is for. And then I just turn back around and get back to work. Cause I'm a good employee. <laughs> So they announced during the match that it's no disqualification, but it's not like they say it at the beginning. They go in like the the middle. So it's like you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, if you get hit by a chair outside the ring, it's legal, you know? So it's like anything that happens outside of the ring in WCW is legal. I've given up on the fucking relaxing of the rules, man. Like, there's no logic to it. I, I appreciate I appreciate you trying to bring logic to this world of WCW must die, but they've disqualified people outside of the ring for hitting people with tables and shit. They have, it's it's hell. Their old rule, their old rule used to be if you threw a guy over the top rope, you were disqualified. Is that the worst rule in history, Greg? Oh yeah. Throwing a guy over the top rope, you get randomly disqualified. Yeah. What the hell were you thinking, Bill? I can't tell you how many times as a child I was pissed off by a WCW match that ended in an over-the-top rope disqualification. Now, I get it as a method to save face or whatever or to build heat, but oh, my God. It was and like that rule, And that rule stayed, like, till, like, 97. Intermittently, it did. It stayed around when they needed it as a fucking get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm sure. That's how Buff Bagwell beat Lex Luger at Starkey 97, because Luger threw him over the top rope. Everybody's got a podcast. Uh, free idea for anybody out there when they put the WCW like Saturday Night Archives out there on the network. Someone do a show and review every episode of that, specifically looking for over-the-top rope throws that are not called disqualification. And uh, I will be very surprised if the number is zero. Very surprised. Oh, I actually have one. Uh, Hollywood Blondes versus uh, Flair and Arn Anderson. I think Anderson threw Pillman over the uh, the rope, and the referee didn't see it. So the four horsemen beat the Hollywood Blondes uh, cleanly. I got to tell you, man, I, I, I love me some Hollywood Blondes. And oh, me. this is a WCW Snake. podcast. We should, let's talk about the good WCW here for a moment. That, mm. like, man, the Hollywood Blondes and the unified tag team title era was big for me. 
for some reason. I just watched a lot of WCW then. Like oh. Shane Douglas, who's on this show, so we'll talk about him, and Ricky Steamboat versus Wyndham and Rhodes. That was my jam. Oh, yeah. My first memory of watching WCW is the Hollywood Bonds. Nice. Um, I also I kind of shamelessly yeah. love also like your your Beach Blast videos and shit like that. I mean, not because, you know, they're cheesy or anything, <laughs> but I was watching WCW at the time. I, I had TBS. It was weird, but I had it. Yeah, um... Also, I think WCW, uh, um, WCW had a uh, very big Kool-Aid budget since they used a lot of uh, red fruit punch for their blood here. Well, it's mysterious red liquid, Tony. Let's 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 say what they told us to say, Tony. It's mysterious red liquid. Um, but there was some actual blood because I it was weird. Kidman comes out and interferes and hits Hogan with a chair. Oh wait, hold on a second. Let's go. Let's rewind um, one thing because uh, before the blood comes down, a fan jumped into the ring. Now I thought it was Gregory. I thought it was Shane Helms because it looked like Shane Helms, but it really wasn't him. It was an actual fan in a sting mask jumped over the railing and just did absolutely nothing. It was brilliant. Because if he would have been in the ring half a second longer, this dude is getting nailed with the <laughs> fucking blood that drops from the floor or from, no. the floor, from the ground. No, not the blood. It's the red liquid. Damn it. I broke my own rule. I'm getting fired. Can't say this. blood on WCW. Can't That's say right. blood, River. Well, then why, when Kidman hit Hogan with the chair, was he scratching his head so hard? Because he made it bleed by scratching it so hard. Because mm. he just blatantly fucking blades on camera. But yeah, the security does come and gets a little stinging out of the ring just in time. And I want to, again, let's travel the multiverse uh, for some extra hits. I want to fucking see the version where that dude just gets blasted with the blood and somehow sues WCW and gets away and like becomes the owner of WCW. <laughs> my eyes, man, my eyes. Like Clarence Mason's in the back to begin with. So I know there's a lawyer in the house. Oh, yeah, Jay Biggs is definitely representing him. Yeah. Yeah. Jay Biggs, uh, fucking Ice Train, Big T, they're all there, man. Fucking Harlem Heat Heat 2000 is a resource that's not being properly mined by Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff, and it's unfortunate. Hopefully, they'll be on Thunder soon, because I don't think they're going to make Nitro. (laughs) They're not going to make it past June. (laughs) The match before the blood does fall, though, ends in an actual wrestling maneuver. I I think this does he get one more bomb in or does he just pin him after he gets hit with the chair? But Mike Awesome gets a one, two, three in the center of the ring and legitimately kind of looks like a kid at Christmas opening a package. Because I believe Mike Mike Awesome believes that having a pinfall victory over Hulk Hogan will legitimately improve his career. It's not going to. It's sad. It's very sad because I, I, I'm just a huge fan of this version of Mike Awesome. Oh, well. But yeah, the fan almost gets covered in red liquid and they must have been low on time because they're out immediately uh, without any sort of big final statement aside from that, which is something we've already seen. Well, I, I think imagine- that, I mean, I mean, I guess the statement is, is that the blood is for everyone who's not part of the new blood. So it makes sense. It does. It's just 
And I get the synergy of wanting to end all of the Nitro episodes with some sort of blood thing because, you know, I think this is the second one in a row that does that, and it does sort of set the standard, but... Or that Russo's getting one over on the boys. Yeah, that is true. But it didn't escalate, and I feel like that's sort of the last step should be a final escalation before the pay-per-view. If you want to talk about this as people who are trying to sell a legitimate wrestling product. And so that I fault it as a go home show. Um, I don't know. We've reached the end. Greg, you want to start on like a wrap up final thoughts? You want to give this bad boy a score? <laughs> what are we scoring this? How do we? Oh, man. Throw a dart at a board with this one. No, I'm just, you know, legitimately fuck all the technicalities of it. Did you have fun watching it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I had a lot of fun watching this episode. Just for uh, for Kurt Russell alone in the Graveyard match, this is a 10. Oh, man, you you warmed my heart. I, I, well, Grudy, what do you got? Um, I'm giving it a generous four. (laughs) A very (laughs) generous four. (laughs) It was good. It was good at some times. It made its point across. However, there was too much like jumping around. Um, I guess there were questions of why do you need to tort? Why are you torturing Hugh Morris uh, by giving by feeding him to Scott Steiner? Uh, why did Chronic come in? You know, I like the graveyard segment. Um, I love I love the crowbar segment. So I think it was good on paper, but then when you display it, it's like, um, this needs to go back to the drawing board. So that's why I'm giving it a very generous four. Well, Grooney, sure. it's like Grooney, it's like the Amazing Spider-Man Two. It, it it asks so many questions, but you have to wait like a very long time, if ever, to find answers to the questions. Like who was driving that white Hummer that Kate Kevin Nash in the limo? Oh yeah, the Hummer from last summer. That's still a question yep. that we need answers. No one. It's Carmen Electra. That's what I heard. <laughs> So I struggled with giving this a rating, and I said to myself, ultimately, I'll just let the numbers decide. So I ran the numbers. Um, This television program was, I think, without commercials, like 85 minutes or something like that. I I ran the counter in Peacock. I swear I did the math. Yeah, 85. Okay, and I gave Scott Hudson a score of 6 Point five for the six good nights and the half good God. I averaged it out, and Scott Hudson. Uh, well, let's just say this: you watch any minute of this television program, there is a seven point six percent chance that the exact moment you're watching, Scott Hudson will say good night. He spends on average of eight percent of this episode saying the phrase good night. Uh, eight's too high, so I'll give it a seven point six just for the hell of it. But it's uh, it's definitely a step down from the last broadcast of Thunder. Well, you're not, <laughs> you're not going to top David Arquette winning the belt. No, and that also had the two five star matches, uh, uh, one of which I got uh, Jake to co-sign off on. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's gospel, and we can argue about the first one. <laughs> but yeah, it, but ultimately if you want to you know i do every once in a while try to take this wrestling thing seriously i i totally back up the four because it's not selling the pay-per-view at all 
And I totally back up the fun ridiculousness of it, too. And I mean, the only thing you feel like you really sold me on was the the triple cage match. Uh, Well, no, like the so you did sell me on the three matches, the triple cage match, the Hogan Kidman and Sting versus Vampira. You sold me on it. You didn't really sell me on Bagwell versus Luger because that looks like that got thrown together. I mean, the Shane Douglas versus Flair match that's going to happen in Slambree was kind of thrown to was kind of built, but like just thrown together at the last minute, too. So let's see where it goes. Right now, I know you and I know that Mike Awesome is fighting Canyon on this card, but they haven't even announced that yet. The man that no. just defeated Hulk Hogan is unannounced for the pay-per-view. That's a that's a mistake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, hey, is there anything you guys uh, want to plug before we get out of here? Anything you'd like to uh, promote, if you will? So I'll go first. Um, um, I'm tr- um, I have a, a podcast called Extreme Resurrection on the Place to Be Wrestling feed. Uh, me and Mike Cook, we look back at ECW in 2006 until 2010. We sort of been on a little hiatus, um, but we're looking to uh, get back in. We're right at the peak of um, October going into November of 2006. And uh, CM Punk is going to fight Mike Knox soon. And ECW is a little bit of a mess, but like they look like they're getting on track with like Rob Van Dam versus the big show and everything. So check out uh, hopefully a new episode of Extreme Resurrection. Well, you're two years away from Adam Lee, so I know the show's got to be better than it is then. <laughs> We're on the crash course to like the worst pay-per-view of all time, apparently. Oh, have you seen – well, uh, we – have you seen December to this member before you, you started doing the podcast or you ever watched it for pleasure? No, nope, I've never watched it before ever. I own it on DVD somewhere. I bought it uh, a discount for like $4.99 because I heard it was the worst show of all time. I think I'd kind of <laughs> rather watch Heroes of Wrestling because at least with <laughs> Heroes of Wrestling, like I'm having a good time. But oh, yeah. December to Dismember is the wrong kind of bad. So I do not envy you for that show. Uh, oh, oh, that December to Dismember is the fan for stick of bad wrestling pay-per-views. Now, wait a minute. You say that. I re- OK, so and you, you, you threw a little shade at Amazing Spider-Man 2 earlier, too. I just did a critical rewatch of the Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, I did, too, on, on my Spider-Man movie podcast. Yes. Okay, fair enough. So, what did you? What were your thoughts on the the second one specifically? Like, because for me, it got a lot better when I started thinking about it differently. Okay, my all right. If you ever listen to the pie, the one problem I have is like, uh, Dane DeHaan is is terrible, absolutely terrible. He's not terrible before he gets the armor. Oh, I. Well, no, no. There's that one scene where he's humming the Jeopardy theme, which is pretty cringy. I just can't. Okay, but you've got. See, yes, I'm with you on that. And I know that Rhino is ridiculous and not like I get all that. I do. But I feel like the performance, like. It's obvious to me that Garfield and Stone were a thing. I mean, everybody has that. Oh, yeah, they were definitely. Anyway. Yeah. But they're just 
they're like I'm not trying to be sound ridiculous. I do a lot of jokes on the show. Their 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 chemistry is so palpable. Oh, I, they they're it, acting their asses off in this movie. Yeah, like it hurts me when she dies. Like I feel like you know. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to get ridiculously and, dramatic. But and, and, I'm just and, saying. E and even Felicity Jones in like her two scenes, she's acting her ass off in those scenes. Sure. And I kind of like this Spider-Verse world where everything revolves around like Osborne. It's kind of interesting to me. Like I play in this, you know, it just wasn't the fashionable thing at the time to do what they were doing, which was these like separate films. And everybody just shit on it because it had three villains. And I've actually kind of grown on Electro too. Like I'm not saying that playing with the score to create the atmosphere and his like inner monologue was the best decision, but I've grown to know that oh. they're doing it no matter what I think. And, and I'm embracing it. And especially after no way home, it made electro like that arc, like paid off yes. very well. I will say it's this, it's the strangest thing ever because it's, it's like one of the only examples I could think of where a movie gets a <laughs> sequel in a, different movie completely that actually extends the plot of a it boggles your mind when you think about it yeah it's like if i watched it before no way home would it still be as good as it is after like if you erase that knowledge from my head that the story actually continues who signed up for the amazing spider-man 2 podcast how did we get on this tangent i'm blaming you but i love it where were we um plugs hair plugs oh, oh yeah hair plug oh yeah it was a thing on tv on uh, my boys to be nation pop experience hey if you like that conversation me and johnny just had about the amazing spider-man 2 you can find more and other tangential things in this podcast i have a whole podcast where we discuss tangential things relating to obscure television shows and topics from like 30 to 40 years ago and you can listen to your heart's content but actually in our latest episode that's on the place we nation pop experience we spent four hours talking about all the good and bad that happened in tv in the year 2021 so you can listen to that it's fun stuff we talk about squid game we talk about uh wandavision we talk about falcon and the winter soldier uh, all sorts of fun oh we talk about jeopardy yeah, it's. I mean, we always try to talk about Jeopardy sometimes, but on the podcast. But I mean, still, we get to bash Mike Richards, and uh, you know, everyone loves to bash Mike Richards. I mean, seriously. And you know what? If Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo would have just worked a little harder, like you just did, <laughs> selling their show, we've all would have enjoyed this episode of WCW Monday Nitro just a little bit more. Yeah, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast talking WCW with you. What I'm gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna have you back, of course, when Slambery 2000 rolls around. Greg, we're gonna get you a uh, an episode that has um, maybe a little bit less backstage stuff, but also better backstage stuff. We'll have all you guys back. Uh, it was a good good fun time talking to you. Uh, I can't wait to do it again sometime. Uh, for everybody who came to listen, we appreciate it. We'll see you next time when WCW dies. <laughs> yep. First you don't succeed. I don't wanna throw it all away. I might be shy on the first day. What about the next day? Uh, 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 uh. You 
Step two, step two. 